0: Welcome back to Queen Pod. It's so nice to be here. Let me introduce our wonderful cohorts. Uh, First up, smelling like a dry fish bone, it's comedian Suze Kempner.
1: (laughs) How did you know?
0: Well, I wanted to pick a lyric from your favourite song on the album. So I've done that. Uh, I'm probably going to get sent on a course now, aren't I? He's got no brains. It's
1: factual, so it's fine.
0: Okay, right. Uh, he's got no brains, but he's sure got a lot of style. It's Queen Documentarian, Simon Lupton. <laughs>
2: Thank you very much. You're skating on thin ice today, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've decided to change tack. <laughs> um, uh, it's so funny,
0: there's nothing to laugh about. It's comedian John Robbins.
3: Well, what a that's pretty well-pointed uh, remark, actually. Because a a lot of my comedy is just emotional heft, with no jokes whatsoever.
4: (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know, but there's so many feels, John. Uh, But the world will know me. I am your host, Ro. Uh, Welcome, yes, to Queen Pod. Hooray! Uh, So, uh, after that incredibly smooth, uh, maybe one of the best intros to the group I think I've done, uh, let us get into uh, Queen are the Champions.
4: Champions. Oh. We are the champions. So,
0: do any of us have a Queen moment that we'd like to share since the last time we gathered?
3: Well, I, um, after various debates about what was and wasn't played at Queen Live at the Rainbow, and various messages about how um, appropriate it was for someone guesting on a Queen podcast to not own at the Live at the Rainbow box set, I took delivery <gasps> of not just. The Queen Live at the Rainbow deluxe, deluxe, super deluxe box set, which I'm very excited to have here. Oh, that's gorgeous. I only (gasps) only got the other day, so I can't wait to open it. still got the cellophane on, because part of Hmm. me likes to keep things in mint condition for as long as possible. (laughs) Sure. Um, I've also got the News of the World uh, anniversary edition. There. Wow! Massive it is. Ooh. Nice. Um, what is in those boxes? Is is it's like or? like t- two CDs and a poster <laughs> for 150 quid. No. Um, <laughs> on so on the, in the News of the World box set, you've got the vinyl LP with analog recut, the original album on CD, the raw sessions on CD, bonus tracks on CD, and the documentary, The American Dream, which I believe is the Whispering Bob documentary that was sort of net uh, wasn't released at the time, uh, and there not was some—not to cast aspersions about the four cornerstones of rock—but there was some sort of bafflement from Whispering Bob about why that sort of never saw the light of day. Wasn't there, Simon? And they didn't sort of have much contact with him for a while. No, That—that's right. It
2: was he was deep into the edit on it and I think it had been taken quite a long time to wrestle all this amazing footage that he'd shot into something that was a coherent program and I'm not quite sure nobody seems to remember or know where the decision was taken but there was a decision I think it was probably from the record company that the moment had passed and it was it was better to, to halt rather than carry on and so everything was just very quickly shut down and um I don't think anyone, the band, weren't quite sure what was going on. Bob wasn't. So, yes, I think it sort of was a little bit awkward for a while. And then Bob tells the story that he was at some kind of event. I think it was a album launch or a, a gig or something. And uh, Freddie was there at the after show get-together at a table. And Bob walked in and sat down with his friends. And then a waiter turned up with a bottle of champagne and said, this is from Mr. Mercury. He would be delighted if you'd join him at his table. And um he went over and it was as if nothing had happened and Freddie was delighted to see him and they were all friends again. Oh wow. And, uh, there's a lot of
0: affection That's to nice. this ray
3: day. And the rainbow uh, box set contains uh C D one, which is Queen Two Live at the Queen Two Tour Live at the Rainbow, C D two Sheer Heart Attack Live at the Rainbow, and then the DVD and Blu-ray of Sheer Heart Attack Live at the Rainbow. And uh, as a result of purchasing those two items, I'm not going to be eating until 2021. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be worth it. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, how many of these are there in total? Like, are you planning to work your way through a whole load of these over the next few years?
3: <laughs> these what? <laughs>
0: uh, these super duper deluxe box set jobs. Well, they, they, they look, look they, gorgeous.
3: They, they did. Ha- they haven't got them for every album. Okay. Um, it's just, the so the Rainbow you could either it's quite a baffling array of Rainbow like you can get the one CD you can get the two CD you can get like a, a miniature version of the box set and then there's the deluxe box set I think I missed out on the deluxe mega box set which also has a t-shirt oh no um, yeah that's, frustratingly oh, that's
0: going to itch you for the rest of your days
3: it is um uh, and it now is a he's made t-shirt. an appeal on the podcast someone will send him one <laughs>
1: ah, that's a great thing to be able to have that kind of power to just want a t-shirt and you get it
3: yeah, yeah. that is pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lower myself to uh begging for uh queen live the rainbow t-shirt but uh What I will say is medium. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I miss
0: the days of medium. Um, uh, Yeah, brilliant. Uh, uh, So it puts me in mind of, uh, I just like Roger's, Roger Taylor's attitude to the whole thing, where in the end, he sort of gathered all of his solo stuff and cross stuff and then just released it in a package called The Lot. I was like, there you go, you can have The Lot. And it was just very (laughs) straightforward. And I was very happy with that.
3: Queen have also done that on about eight different formats, haven't they? You've got the works, you've got the ultimate collection, and then you've got that USB in the orb. Do you remember that? Mm. Oh, the orb, yes. It was a 200 quid gold orb, and it opened up and there was a USB <laughs> stick in the middle, which sounds so like sort of 2010s. Um but I st- still wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I, um,
2: I, I went down a, an internet rabbit hole this week because a friend of mine posted a picture on social media that, uh, that just got me completely intrigued. And I, I think I lost half a day sort of looking into it. Can you see this picture here?
4: Oh, yeah. yeah. Of
2: the delightful ABBA mm-hmm. performing a song. And look here. <gasps> oh. They are in front of Roger Taylor's drum kit. Huh. Uh- and I was um rather loose by like that. And the... this person had put this on and said, Abba performing in front of Roger's drum kit. That's a gig I could I would like to have seen. <laughs> um so I I decided I had to uh to try and find out where that was from. Actually it didn't take me that long because someone's already done that uh, research for me. <laughs> um but it was um from a TV program in the UK called Forty Five that was filmed up in Manchester by Granada Television for ITV. Um and this was, uh, it turns out, uh, on the 19th of December, 1974, for a programme that would be broadcast on Christmas Day that year. Um, and ABBA appeared on the show and performed So Long. And also on the show were the Bay City Rollers, Mud, Rick Wakeman and Queen, who had performed Killer Queen. which oh, is okay. okay. It's quite pertinent to the album we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And if you uh, go onto the website that I found it on eventually, which is called com, they've got a fantastic photograph that was taken of all the artists that were on the show that week. They've all just got them together on the stage. And you can pick out all the members of Queen interspersed with mud and the Bay City Rollers. <laughs> Amazing. It's, it's quite a moment. Um, and this guy has found out that uh, there was a book on ABBA And Bjorn was quoting it as saying, one day we were in Manchester for ITV with the group Queen. Their performance was magnificent, but ours was very average.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are, of course, the uh, correct answers to one of the great Queen pub quiz questions. Yes, they are, aren't they? Which is, which UK number one contains the title of the number one that uh, succeeded it in its lyrics? Wow, which is,
0: you've lost me in the question, to be honest with you.
3: Which <laughs> is Bohemian Rhapsody and Mamma Mia. Oh, oh
0: now I understand okay. the question. Thank you, John. That's yeah, right. it's quite a hard question to actually <laughs> articulate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did well. You did very yeah. well. So the answer's <laughs> superb. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, fantastic. Any other little oh, Queen it. moments, Sue? You got anything going yeah, on? Yeah,
1: it's not as good as it's You always say it's that and then purchase. say something it's, wonderful. It's, it, no, it's not. I just bought that poster in the chat. I've put it in the chat. Because I don't have any Queen posters, and I thought that one would look nice on my. Oh, that's so nice.
0: (gasps) Oh, yeah. So, uh, Susan just sent us a picture. We're going to put all of this on our uh, Instagram, aren't we, Producer Giles, at uh, the Queen Pod on Instagram. We'll put all these lovely pictures. But this is a lovely poster of all of the albums, not just the studio albums, right? There's a lot of the live albums. Yeah, it's got
1: some live albums. And uh, it's going to look real nice in a frame on my wall next to the taxi driver poster from (laughs) when I was sixteen.
3: As a completist, does it Hmm. not? Would it? Is it not going to bug you that it's got (laughs) on fire live at the bowl, (laughs) uh, Queen Rock Montreal, but not live at the Rainbow, and (laughs) not. what's the other one in there I can't see it Uh, it's got Queen and Paul Rogers yeah Return Uh, of the Champions but not the Cosmos Rocks
1: maybe I'll have to get individual posters of all of those
3: well what you could do Suze is Mm -hmm. you see the bottom row you could actually just cut them off
1: (laughs) oh because it ends
3: it ends a row with Made in Heaven
1: yeah it's the sort of thing I would do actually so (laughs) that would that makes sense and And very reasonably
2: priced I thought yeah,
1: yeah, it's um, the frame that's going to do it. I'm upset with myself for getting it off the, uh, oh, the great website Bezos that is machine. Amazon.
5: Yeah. Yeah, well, but,
1: you know, I they needed are very the poster. Quick. <laughs> it did arrive the next day. I now live the life of a a gentleman in the olden days who's got a personal assistant. Because I've got Amazon Prime.
0: Yeah, <laughs> other online retailers aren't really that available, not in the same same way. Let's be honest. No. Um, uh, which is a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Well, I feel like we've we've done Queen moments right out the wazoo there. So, shall we move on? Oh, that's on the to... first
3: time you've mentioned Frank Zappa in an episode. <laughs> what are you talking about now? He had an album called The Grand Wazoo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <sighs> how many minutes are we in? <laughs> About have you,
5: you've,
0: you've you've marketed yourself as a Queen fan. Anyway, it <laughs> doesn't matter. I, what should we call the next session? Love of Frank Zappa's life. <laughs> Who was it, John?
3: If I was invited on a podcast to discuss every Frank Zappa album side by side, I, I would still be recording that podcast when I was... 100, because he's got (laughs) over 100 albums, so it would be ridiculous. It would be a ludicrous undertaking.
0: And uh, in terms of quality of album, like just number of album, all 10 out of 10. Every single one. Compared to Queen, all 10 out of 10 for Queen. Oh, no,
3: no, 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 no. (laughs) no. He's he's got some that don't scale the dizzy heights of uh, five Queen albums.
0: Mm. Okay, all right. And of the two which musician are you taking onto your desert island if you can only pick up
3: Uh, Queen because they're in my mind as we've discussed oh oh, so I can just play I can even use the desert
0: island thing then (laughs) (laughs) all right fine I'm going to move on I'm going to move on let's do love of our life I've got a little update from at Malch Smith 58 uh, for you, John. You mentioned in the last episode this fellow, uh, all these different versions of Queen 2. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, he just uh, dropped me a little note, bless him. Uh, very sweet note, actually. Um, but he just wanted to uh, uh, elucidate for you that those eight tracks that you were struggling to identify were the USA and Canadian versions.
3: Ah, right. that's, that'll be it. Right.
0: And absolutely every copy of Queen 2 that he's got on that image is obviously a different printing, a different run, a different yeah. country, all that kind of stuff. But as you correctly identified. Uh, the other thing I've got for you is at DeanMu41148127 mm-hmm. pointed us to, are you aware of this? The reactions version of I Feel Good. The uh, reaction being... Of being the Roger Taylor band I feel good I,
4: I would so, yeah. so good so good I got a you I feel, I feel nice
1: Oh well, there you go get Aww. it hey. That picture of him—he looked like Tom Daly. Not bad, eh? <laughs> he looked like a little Tom Daly drum.
0: Oh, a little young Roger! But what a yeah. what a fantastic beat he's throwing there early yeah. on in his career. I thought that was wonderful. So thank you for that. Okay, so <clears throat> I've got a lovely, wonderful fan letter from uh, one Mister Oliver Jenkins. Hello, Oliver Jenkins. Um, I love this letter. Here we go. When I was young, I had to move away from my mum. I had no say in the matter, and I couldn't talk or see see her for long periods of time. I had precious few items with me from home, but one was a Queen Greatest Hits CD. The band were my constant companion companion throughout that traumatic experience. The songs took me to another place, a place of ethereal beauty. I didn't see Queen as artists, I saw them as magicians. The things they did with instruments took me to another plane of existence. Sometimes they lifted me during the experience. Sometimes they reflected my misery. Either way, Queen was there for me and with me. The situation resolved itself, but my love of Queen continued. Because of Freddie, I fancied myself as a performer and got into the final of a local talent show with a performance one journalist said would have made Freddie proud. The spelling of Freddie with a Y slightly dulling my emotional reaction upon reading. Reading it. Freddie meant the world to me throughout my childhood and adolescence because as an autistic person, I spent a lot of time copying neurotypical behaviour to try and fit in. But I never really could. Freddie was proud to be different. He wore it as a badge of honour and that always inspired me and made me feel better about myself. I strive to be like him, to be unapologetically, deliberately, enthusiastically different. I've come a long way with it, but I still work on it to this day. His fortitude and bravery in performing till the very end and his lust for life also greatly impact the way I live and how I approach my challenges." As with a traumatic event in my childhood, Queen songs have always perfectly comforted, uplifted or distracted me in my life. Growing up, I watched the live concert DVDs obsessively, distracting me from my problems and inspiring me to be better and bolder. I could remember how Freddie used to sing notes lower live and I'd sing those notes along with the songs when I heard them on CDs instead of the actual notes. The best night of my life was when I finally got to see Queen live with Adam Lambert in 2015. Being in the same space as the band that had been so instrumental in who I am was incredibly emotional, and it was a fantastic show. Much like all those other times, Queen remains a comfort in these pandemic times, but in a different way. I work in a school, and on top of my autism, I have OCD, and generalised anxiety disorder, which means I spend my whole working day terrified about contracting COVID. I listen to this podcast while I work and it has been the Queen greatest hits of these corona times. I've probably definitely left a lot out, but I need to write in because Queen are a part of my soul and this podcast has just kept me going through a tough time. Stay safe, Oliver. Isn't that Aww.
3: just Aww. wonderful?
1: That's a great email. Thank you, Oliver. Lovely,
3: That's an amazing email. email, Oliver. It really
0: yeah. is. Um... And I think it's something that we have gently been touching on all the way through this series, actually. is It is really brilliant in re-engaging with this wonderful music at this time and recognising that, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are, at various points, you know, this music will get you through. You'll use it to celebrate and you'll use it to get through the hard times. So good for mm. you, Oliver. You, you, you keep going. And actually, what you said about Queen and Adam Lambert, um, I was just thinking it might be an idea. We are quite lucky... In that Queen have released a thing, uh, they've released a live DVD. I thought it might be an idea to spend an episode chatting about that
3: and having a look at it. What do you think? Yeah, maybe yes. we'll do that next. It's not week. every day you get a new Queen album.
1: No. Yeah, it could exactly. be heading for their first number one as well in in a, a long time. Mm. Is it oh first really? First number one since Made in Heaven. What the album? Yeah. Oh, really. Wow, I didn't know
5: that.
0: Ooh. Very possibly. I can't wait to watch it, it actually. But cut it if it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I thought that'd be a fun thing to do. Let's let's do that. Let's have a look at this mm. new release because, um, yeah, I wish we were able to. Podcast didn't exist when Innuendo was released, but my God, can you imagine if we were getting to do this stuff then?
5: Oh yeah. I'd
0: I'd have just done my GCSE, so I'd be like well knowledgeable <laughs> about stuff.
5: Yeah.
1: I'd be six and annoying.
0: (laughs) Whereas now you're no longer six. Yeah, exactly. 35 and annoying. (laughs) Producer Giles, have you got a fan question for us? Steve Junkman emailed
6: us to ask a question and to tell us that he loves the podcast. He's a massive Queen fan, evidenced by two things. Firstly, he dragged his wife to see Queen with Adam Lambert at Las Vegas two nights in a row, maybe for the whole residency, basically. Hmm. Um, But more importantly, he has done or has had some art done on himself. You can see here, there's oh. a lovely uh, picture of Frank from News of the World on his, on his right arm. It is a tattoo. Oh, a wow. tattoo of Frank on his right arm. A tattoo of oh. Freddie on his left arm with some nice quotes. Uh, it uh, uh, giving soul. it all
0: my soul.
6: And that on the back. The oh. show must go on That's with the, with part of the uh, logo. His question is... Yeah. If you had to get a queen-based tattoo, and this is where there might be some objection to tattoos generally, but if you had to get a tattoo of queen, of something to do with queen,
1: what would it be? Oh...
0: Yeah, go on, <laughs> Yeah,
1: Yeah, oh, because <laughs> I, I only want two tattoos. Okay. But I haven't got any. But there's only two that I've ever contemplated sure. getting. one's BSG. One just... What's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> one's just big, uh, the big Queen Q. Oh. But possibly in the font of the first album. Ah, oh, really? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I would, I've would. i got uh, a T-shirt... Well, I've got two copies of two different T-shirts of the same Queen logo, which is the Queen one font. Um. And I love it so much. Mm. I would probably go for that. I did have a um, Queen hoodie, which from the front had just like Queen written in red, very sort of um, neatly. But then you turn around and it was this enormous picture of their faces. It's from when um, the, the Love Songs um, uh, album was released with the Michael Jackson track. Oh, yes. And it was s- such a ludicrous contrast from this tiny <laughs> little queen to this enormous, almost like Mount Rushmore sized picture of them on the back. That That, w- that would be an incredibly audacious move so... to have... Right queen, I'd bowl. have queen on on my chest, very small and neat. And then I'd turn around to have their enormous faces across my back. <laughs> You'd never have to wear a top again.
0: That's amazing. Simon, you've already got three or four queen tattoos, haven't you?
2: Yeah. No, Rowan, you know me. Uh, this just could not be further from what I would actually do. Because <laughs> um, I would be so petrified if whoever was doing it, making such a bad job of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, the the pictures we have just seen, whoever the artist, what the tattoo artist was, was yeah, clearly really good. extremely good. Yeah. They were yes, amazing. because the, the
3: there are some on those like little clickbaity things of ten tattoos gone wrong. There are a few Freddie Mercury's <laughs> That's with, with some wrong, really yeah. poor sort of penmanship. Sort of end up looking like <laughs> Laura's
0: lemon and elderflower Freddie cake from the Bake Off that oh, just yeah, sort of sank, sank of a little cake. bit. We <laughs> yeah. didn't. He only
1: had half a face. Yeah. Like ran <laughs> out
2: at the bottom.
0: Yeah, go on, Simon. What would you have
2: if you I, had I to? I, if I had to, I, th- I think a, a very discreet crest somewhere. How discreet? I think, well, not not massive. I mean, I'm not. I don't want one across my whole chest or across my back, but just somewhere. Just just a small crest. I think would just because I I like those ones where you kind of. If you know what it, if you know what it is, then you know what it means. But if you don't, if you don't know it, then it, it baffles everyone else. So when you That's say small,
0: what I
1: think about getting a cue. Yeah, yeah Cause exactly. Because it would
0: be, Everyone like, who's someone who's know a know fan would know would... what that was. See, uh, yeah. of all the cues, Suze, uh, I'm trying to make a Suzy Q joke, and it's not going to work, is it? But <laughs> yeah. of all the cues, I I think I might even have, John's going to hate this, but the Miracle Q, because it's got that lovely sort of swirly tail to it, and it's oh, always sort yeah. of the one that I... Well, it's one of the ones that I constantly think of. Queen, so I keep saying. To, oh, it's the one I think. Just of Queen. to
3: be clear, I don't have a specifically anti-miracle agenda. You seem to hate <laughs> the miracle. I don't. I don't want people to think I hate Queen or the miracle, despite what was said on the last episode. Okay. I I, I just have a couple of reservations, which I will come to at the time of that episode. But I want yeah. people to think I'm not a big fan. Yeah, we've fan we've of the all miracle. got
0: reservations. That's fine. We understand. But I, on I that haven't. album, there's two tracks that are a little bit dodgesome. Other than that, <laughs> it's all gold. Um, uh, but so- sorry, Simon, this tattoo of yours—it's a very small Queen crest. Are you talking? Are you talking like the size of a two pence piece?
5: Yes.
2: And where does that go, please? <laughs> um, look, this is this never going to happen. So. No. <laughs> T- top a of the tiny left nipple. Two-pee.
0: Or is it somewhere more discreet than that?
2: Forehead. I'm not going there.
0: Move on. I'm not
2: going there. Back of the neck.
0: (laughs) Alright, okay. So I happen to have... So I I have this sort of thing of if you love a thing for like 40 years you can get a tattoo of it. That's sort of my attitude of it. Mm -hmm. So I have a giant Batman on my chest and I've got Catwoman down my arm and I have long been thinking about what do I do about um, Queen. Uh, And I think probably the most likely thing is um, the Queen Crest in some form, probably on the right arm or maybe across the other side of my chest. However, uh, having done that uh, amazing album rating episode that we did, the album cover rating episode, do you know what? I wouldn't mind having those A Kind of Magic characters, oh, would work work them, just dancing tattoo, about. I wouldn't think? they be cool? You could have them placed yeah. in different places...
3: You know, and you could have uh, you could have Roger sort of floating away over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. In reference to the uh, life at it's Wembley to a bin, game. yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, someone else's garden. Yeah. The comedian Will Hodgson, who is the most tattooed yes. man I know, has a little Freddie Mercury from the "I Want to Break Free" video mm. with oh. the uh, with the pink. I love his uh,
0: tattoos. He's got so yeah. many lovely, gorgeous little things. And it's always the the love. He's got great taste. That man. Just great taste. Well, I think we've 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 decimated that kinda question. question, but it is a yeah. fantastic question, um, and uh, we're making a commitment right now that uh, the first time we all get together to do one of these together in a room, we are all going to get those tattoos. Right, right. We're in, <laughs> Simon. We're in. Simon's in. Yep, good. Oh, okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent on tape. Dealt with, done. Uh, so, thank you to Steve jonkman for that brilliant question. We genuinely loved it. Uh, what a tattooy question it was! Uh, if you have any more uh, questions, we well, uh, we hope you do. Please send them into us, QueenPod at the queenpodcast.com. com. Uh, and if you have any uh, comments and stuff, please uh, tweet us at the QueenPod. Uh, you can get us uh, on Instagram at the pod as well. Share us your cool pictures of stuff. Uh, We love to see all this stuff. It's so cool. Um, And it's lovely to feel like there's a little community growing um, out of all of this. So, uh, yes, good for you. And well done to us. Right, so let's move on to the works. All right, so we are looking at... The Side B of Sheer Heart Attack, which is so cool. Released on EMI in the UK, Electro in the US. Recorded at Trident Air, Rockfield and Wessex Sound Studios. July to September 74. Produced by Queen Roy Thomas Baker and engineered by Mike Stone, as I said entirely on the last episode um the only little thing that i kind of wanted to add here uh before we get into the songs themselves is um the song sheer heart attack which appears on news of the world much later uh was written by roger and was intended for this album but it wasn't finished so it wasn't released till 77 but i guess you guys all knew that mm. but that is why there is then randomly a song uh, actually two, three I've, I've got
3: that fact tattooed on my, uh, <laughs> the inside of my thigh
0: see there's loads of tattoos you could get Simon <laughs> <laughs> loads um, so yeah uh, uh, so you may uh, if you're new to the whole uh, Queen thing and you're exploring the albums with us you go oh wow there's a song called "Chiata," but it's not GRT that is right so I've dealt with that um, so the second half of the album opens with this huge crazy track called In The Lap of the Gods written by Freddie Mercury it's three minutes twenty seconds long and um, Roger is credited with providing drums and screams which is amazing Mm. because he is doing (laughs) some crazy stuff on this song Uh, shall we just listen to the opening (laughs) an intro to a second mm. half of an album, isn't it? <laughs> what a thing. Um, apparently, most people think Roger's high notes are falsetto, but Suzy, will you be able to help me? Apparently, <laughs> they're not. Instead, they're supposed to be part of his normal range. Is that even possible?
1: What it's is there, he doing? How does he do it? They're definitely falsetto. He's putting a lot of twang on them as well. Uh, we talked last week, didn't we, about how Freddie and Roger, it's not so much a difference in range, it's just a difference in um, how they approach different notes uh, th- yeah, yeah, we talked about this in the first. Yeah, and uh, so with Roger, it's all a very wide vibrato, whereas Freddie, it's um, like a much sharper sound straight through. If that makes sense, so Freddie won't necessarily sound higher than Roger, but actually, they're not singing in different um, in different ranges. That's crazy because he
0: definitely mm. sounds like a soprano. In a choir, and I was yeah. convinced when I first got into the band that they had some female singer. Like, I remember distinctly sort of reaching the point of information where no Roger does all that, and I'm like, What? How is yeah, that?
1: Yeah, 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 because it's him singing the for me, the top B in um, Bohemian Rhapsody. of course,
0: yeah, that's nuts, right? That's his note. but
1: that he finds it much easier up there than Freddie, but Freddie can hit all those notes
3: yeah is that a top B I thought that was a top C
1: I think it's a B if it's a top Mm. C um, I'm more impressed with every time I've been able to hit it
5: (laughs) 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 I I
0: defer to your I defer to your wow uh, yeah, um, I think it's stunning <laughs> yeah.
3: I find the main voice on uh, in the lap of the gods quite scary <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Well it's put through a flanger or something, isn't it? And, well, well, should we listen to a bit of that actually? It's Have they nice slowed it too.
1: down? They've done something I think they've put cool. a, mm.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's gone through a flanger um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, But I don't really technically know what a flanger is If I'm honest <laughs> I know I that it flanges notes No, it's mm-hmm. it's one of these guitar freak pedals uh, Guitar legend pedals uh Like John, he's probably got about six flanges.
4: I touch your lips with mine, but in the end, I leave it to the Lord.
3: Uh, it's, it's not a flanger. They uh, recorded it. They sped up the tape as they recorded it. And then when you play it at normal speed, it slows down. Okay. Thanks to Google. Wow. <laughs> we go.
1: Is that the same effect then that they're using in Show Must Go On? Uh, in my soul is painted like the wings of butterflies. That's the same thing. And I, I was told that's a flanger. And that's the only time I've ever heard it before mentioned before but maybe they're doing the same thing
3: no because that the, when you when you record sped up and then mm. play it normal it changes the pitch and the uh, register mm. and the uh, oh,
1: okay so two they're two, so different,
3: they're, two different effects okay I'd imagine by 1991 they could do it yeah. slightly less sort of uh, analog wizardry hmm Ooh. It's just that
0: lovely just the way Brian's guitar works I mean he's laid it all down afterwards but that lovely transition into the into the final section of the song is just it's just one of oh. the loveliest bits of all of Queen for me. The song is I really like it. It is a good song. It's an amazing opening to the second half. Um I think Revisited is a stronger lap of the gods than this one in lots of ways but um that little moment where it just you know there's those two little moments mm. where Freddie finishes a note and Brian just carries on on the guitar, I think, in the same note. And it's just beautifully, what's the word, a beautiful elision and then that, that lovely transition they keep wanging on about. So Freddie, <laughs> uh, in an interview on Radio 1... On uh, Christmas Eve uh, 1977, he said, uh, I was beginning to learn a lot on Sheer Heart Attack. We were doing a lot of things which was to come on future albums, was to be used on future albums. Songs like In the Lap of the Gods, yes, I suppose. Working out the harmonies and song structure did help on something, on, say, something like bow rap. Somebody said this sounds like Cecil B. DeMille meets Walt Disney or something, more to the point than the Beach Boys. Um, That's a little... uh, uh... Um, look at things from Fred that I think he was I think, I think that's right, I think it is something that we've been talking quite a bit about in this album where they are now establishing sort of their approach for all the albums to come, the idea of generating hit after hit and, um, and writing some amazing stuff on each album um, there's no real obvious connection between this at the top of this half of the album and in the lap of the gods revisited at the end of the album
2: um, that's the other mm. thing to say about that It uh, does give us the opportunity to sort of, if someone says, is this your favourite Queen track? You can say, it's not even my favourite song called Lap of the Gods, if you prefer the other one. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's a a really, really, to take the second half as a whole for a second, it's really mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. I don't think there's as varied a side on any Queen album, because you've got this sort of weird top and tail with two songs that are completely different but share the same name. Mm. Then you've got, um, like, the hardest rock track they ever did. Mm. Yeah, we're doing that next. (laughs) Then then you've got... And four of the songs are less than two minutes 13. Mm. One of them is sort of this odd wartime, like, a cappella (laughs) thing, Dear Friends. (laughs) Then you've got John Deacon's first song... And then bring back that Leroy Brown, which feels so much like it should be on a night at the opera. Yeah, right. yes, it's it's cra- it's, a, it's sort of a wonderful mess, but yeah. it's not a mess at all. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's so varied. Yeah, mm. does it feel a and, bit and, scrappy to you as a result? I wouldn't say it f- feels scrappy, but it it doesn't f- feel like say the second side of. Um, a Night of the Opera, where you could argue that Bohemian Rhapsody isn't even the most outrageous song on that sure. half. Sure, But it does feel... It, it feels like each song is very different. Yeah. Like, very, very... Like, from different bands, and not just different bands, but different eras.
0: Yeah, maybe. But I think the first half of Night of the Opera in particular has that sort of freneticism about it. That it. it mm. I mean, they mm. love genre hopping. So, for me, I just... Yeah, I think for a long old time, I'd say at least a good 15 years, I'd say that Sheer Heart Attack was probably my favourite album and the one that mm. I listened to the most. Um, and it is just... All of these tracks just sound great to me. I don't know how it is for someone new or objective. I don't know quite how it would be for someone who was coming in to this stuff
3: fresh. It's. I think it. it's the, probably the album... More so than Queen 2, I reckon, where splitting them into sides makes you look at it slightly differently. Sure. Mm. It, they, they almost feel, the two sides, like two crazy EPs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Because the first album is like the two rock tracks of the bookends. The second, well, the first side, sorry, the second side, you've got the two in the lap of the gods, and it's almost like a little sort of smorgasbord of everything they can do in between. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah. and but uh, it, it's a burst of creativity, as uh, all of their albums are, I think. But you've got to bear in mind they got into a studio for what eight weeks.
3: and came out this. I think you can tell from how different those songs are that Brian hasn't been as yeah. present. Right. In yeah, the, I was going to say in the yeah. writing.
1: When you know the. Uh, backstory to this album what was happening at Mm. the time Mm. a lot of it does make more sense Mm. Mm. Brian
0: being ill Um, amazing stuff well listen let's move on to Stone Cold Crazy because that is a stone cold killer of the track isn't it
4: yeah (laughs)
0: Oh, solo. I mean, wow. Well, I, the first time I heard this track at all, I remember distinctly it was uh, the uh, the Live at the Rainbow version was on the B-side of the Miracle single, which had this little holographic seven-inch single of the Miracle, the song. Mm. And mm. Um, it was on the back of that, and I sort of listened to the Miracle, fine, fine, turned it over, and played this thing. I went, oh my god, what is this? Like, you know, even Oh, what Hitman was an innuendo, so that was later, so I hadn't even heard that yet. But I was like, oh, my God, this is so, so heavy, you know. And uh um, uh um Q magazine has described the song as thrash metal before the term was invented. Okay. You know? So, like, a real – project, but, you know, what an amazing thing. And obviously it's also uh, the first Queen song to be credited as written by all four members of the band – um and maybe Simon, do you know the reason for that? Don't worry if you don't because my research has
4: told me.
2: <laughs> is it because it was it was originally a Freddie song from his band Wreckage, wasn't it?
5: Yeah. And yeah.
2: he brought it in and then all all of them worked on it to create the Queen version of of that. Is that
0: Yeah, that's it, that... exactly. Yeah. Um it was sort of the first this is so, uh, Right, it was one of the earliest Queen songs ever performed live, with Freddie telling Circus Magazine in 75, 1975 that Stone Cold Crazy was the first song Queen ever performed on stage. Uh, yeah. And it would be played live at almost every Queen concert between seventy four and seventy eight. And because the song dated back to the very start of Queen, this is what you were saying, they couldn't remember who actually wrote it when the album was released. So it's the first <laughs> song credited as being written by all four of them, which is really, really cool. But you're right, yeah, a version of the song was played by Freddie back in his pre-Queen band Wreckage, which is
3: cool. I've got a, a small Stone Cold Crazy anecdote. Let's have it. When I was 16 or 17, I was doing media studies at, in, at Sixth Form, and we had to make a gangster video. And um, <laughs> I I lobbied at times vociferously, uh, at times vehemently, uh, at times passionately to use Stone Cold Crazy as the soundtrack. Uh, I eventually um, wore everyone else in my group down. <laughs> and the, the start sequence I had in my head from the minute we were told we had to make a gangster video. And so if you imagine the start of the song with the... woo," yeah. That's me in the video uh, at a table in a pub taking um, a match out of a matchbox, striking it, lighting a cigarette... And then doing that thing where you sort of let a bit of smoke come out and then suck it all back in like a plume. <laughs> and at, at the exact moment, that the sort of plume of smoke goes back into my mouth. That's when the song kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had that Did you achieve that? that? Uh, Did you manage to achieve
0: that on screen?
3: Yeah, it took ages and about sort of six fags. But after, <laughs> after smoking six fags uh, and getting enough takes, I managed because it had to be the first one. Oh,
0: oh, that's amazing! Oh, that's wow. just like uh, Edgar Wright's vision for Baby Driver. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but on a brilliant. slightly smaller <laughs> scale.
1: <laughs> and Sue's very sick form media studies. I had to, uh. we had to make a film. I got put in a group with three guys, and we had to make a film. It could be about anything, and I and it was just after 9-11 and I had to talk three guys in Reigate out of making. Um, a short film about our reaction to 9 11. So anyway, nothing to do with Queen. Good um, lord! I managed it. <laughs> well uh, <on>, argued. <laughs> Stone Cold Crazy. We because the first CD my parents ever bought was the single of the Miracle. Sure. Um. So I can remember being five, and I would play this song yeah. on the. Uh, because it was yeah like you say the b-side along with a live version of my melancholy blues but i used to put stone cold crazy on and run as fast as i could around the living room oh that's so <laughs> that's what it's for that's, that's what, that what the song is for doing that's what it's and for that thing where your mum goes right you can't do it again until you've had a drink and you drink the drink really fast <laughs> um, and then run around
4: the living room again oh that's <laughs> such
0: a brilliant thing uh, so those two songs in particular are, are in your marrow, aren't they? Because you, you've cited yeah. both of those these songs, both Stone Cold Crazy and um, uh, uh, News of the World. Uh, My Man Collie Blues, right? The, yeah, a, a I love I love both of
1: them more on that CD than I did The Miracle. I'd always listen to those two rather than The Miracle. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I,
0: mm-hmm. uh, 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 I, uh, I went running into school with that. With that track going, look, check out how cool they are. See, yes. they're so cool. And like, no yeah. one, no one gave a toss. Literally, <laughs> no one was interested.
3: Um, uh, but there we uh, go. Not for the first time on this album, uh, we are hearing a song that was covered by Metallica. Oh, yes, we were, and won a Grammy award yeah. for yeah. best Did metal it? performance. Yeah, uh, Metallica's true. performance of this song. Mm. Um, uh, Didn't he so,
1: ruin his voice singing it?
3: Well, it's on the tribute concert, isn't it? They, uh, <gasps> they Metallica did Metallica do on "Stone that. Cold Crazy," right? But, um, uh, but yeah, it's a it's a bit of a throat ripper. It's a
1: hell yeah. of a hell of a sing, because yeah. it's also high as well.
0: It was their B side to the, end of the "Sandman" single, um, mm-hmm. the "Stone Cold mm-hmm. Crazy," and it's it's great. Um, but I still prefer. The, I mean, it's great. The Metallica version, but the hmm. Queen version is just—it's just—it's and when they play it live, it's even oh. faster somehow. <laughs> it's even oh. more nuts. Yeah, they, you know, yeah. it's 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 an incredible. It, it does feel like all four of them are heavily pulling together. I think that credit kind of. You know, I think they probably are on all of their songs. They definitely are on all their songs, but on "Stone Cold Crazy," that it just feels like, now this is all the
2: Power Rangers forming as one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting because could, could we take a moment just to admire the the drumming on on this particular track from yeah, it's Mr. Roger Meadow's Taylor? Because it, it's actually um, for me, it's the way that he is mimicking what the melody is is doing with his drumming it would be so easy for him to keep time because it's going at such a lick mm. it's quite hard for a, it's quite technically difficult for a drummer anyway just to to keep that you know sort of like a metronomic way just to keep that that rhythm going but he's doing a double double stroke roll as well as he's doing it which is he's <laughs> He's bouncing the stick. Someone's gone away and studied their great 6 I have. Because basically, (laughs) Sue has raised the bar so high that she analyses (coughs) Freddy's story. I could be talking absolute. You don't know. (laughs) We've got to manage this. And there is a technique, double stroke roll, where you you bounce the stick for every every hit. Um, So you get two hits rather than one. Oh, wow. Um, But he's doing it with his bass drum as well as his snare. So he's bouncing between the two. Good lord. on two and actually I've got a little clip because you know he did his wonderful drum tutorials during um, yes
5: they're so good on his Instagram
2: he did he did one on the, the you know the difference between single stroke and double stroke so I'll play you this clip and you can hear where he's hitting it with just one hit on the drum and then when he's bouncing the stick so you get you get two do you want to have a listen to his yes please demonstration of this
3: Damn, he's good.
5: That's so so if, cool. if
3: if you were recording this song now, you'd use a double bass pedal, wouldn't you? Yeah. But did they not were they not around in the pre-metal years? I th- I think they they were because there was um
2: Roger's got this amazing drum kit at his studio which has got a really odd shaped bass drum. It's almost oval shaped. Mm. Um because it was designed to be slightly wider so you could fit two Two pedals on it, so right. it, was, it was a thing. Whether I don't know actually off the top of my head if Roger had was using double pedals there. Suze but, would have known it if that, this was a question about. Yes, France, we, all it? right. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> just flying the flag for the drummers here. But I just, <laughs> what, I'm so what, sorry. I just, I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. In the percussion department, you have to put up with this kind okay. of stuff. Yeah. So basically. <laughs> The brilliance of it, how he's deployed it here, is that he is able to mimic what the melody is doing with the drums, so it feels very melodic, and it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning—that first time that, that that Tim Staffel and and Brian heard Roger play, it was just how melodic he made his drums sound, and then make he makes it sound like an instrument rather than just someone hitting mm. hitting you know pots and pans. Um, and I just think uh, it's worthy of highlighting that because we uh we tend not to because i'm rubbish at it no not it at all to... no <laughs> I, I think you're right i think
0: we do take drums. i think every, all of us take drums for granted but you see this stuff and like every time i actually stop and try and analyze drums and i only ever really do it <laughs> with Roger, i suppose but like h- how hard is it to actually play that like how long do you have to be drumming for to be able to be in a position where you can start doing this kind of stuff or is it's it is absolutely just...
2: it's a hundred percent in in the technique because you have to bounce the stick so it's an even bounce so that the, the two yeah. hits are the same and you either bounce it too many times and it sort of just turns into a bit of a flare <laughs> or or you don't bounce it at all you just get one or you know perhaps you're, you're doing it and one will do it once and the other do it twice so it becomes uneven. Um, and all in rhythm it, so he's doing that's an insanely preci- precision piece of
0: and it's not like they're looping it right he is playing this stuff for the whole he's no, track. he's playing
2: it because he because he does it live yeah absolutely amazing. and and sort of you know thrashes through it um and as we heard in that tutorial there he's jumping between sometimes doing it and sometimes not mm. but it makes it sound like when he's doing a drum filling does it it sounds like he's got like 30 drums that he's rolling down but he's not he's doing it around five or six but he's hitting them twice and he's, and he's throwing the bass drum in there. And then he uses the symbol to accentuate, Good Lord. you know, the, the, the B it's, yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, it's, he's
3: a brilliant drummer
2: and we, we know that cause we're Queen fans, but I think, um, it's sort
3: of,
5: I, it, I he, tell you he, what, I,
3: uh, put it this way, I bet it's not the first song he's uh, gagging to play with Adam Lambert I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think it's, it's a young man's drum track right. You don't want to do that in the you know 90th minute of your
2: two hour gig and suddenly it's like, let's yeah. do
3: Stone Cold well,
2: oh, well, You man. say that but if you, if you watch him playing live
0: these days like he'll, I remember one gig where he walked on properly with a peak cap but what I love about Roger is that he will sit there at the beginning of the gig, he's a man in his what late 60s early 70s now and he'll sit there at the drum kit and then as he starts to play he just starts i think he drinks a lot of vodka while he plays actually but what, um <laughs> what he does is he just genuinely deages as the gig goes on oh, and by the time we're about right. halfway through the gig he looks like he's 30 again it's unbelievable mm. he is it must be incredible. it
3: must be very hard in in this sort of older rock bands it must be hardest on the drummer because when um I don't know if I've mentioned this. When I interviewed Brian May, <laughs> um, one of the one of the uh, searingly insightful questions that uh, we asked him was like, "How often do you actually play the guitar in your sort of day to day life?" Oh, right? Do you practice? Yeah, yeah, and he said, "Well, not much, but then before a tour, I sort of work my fingers to get the the tips of my fingers sort of hard and leathery mm. enough to be able to to do it." And I imagine. Something like piano, it's pretty similar. You just have a sort of a few days to get your joints going. But as a drummer, you you can't not drum for a year mm. and mm. then because yeah, it, it's it's, so it's actually physical. about physical conditioning mm. as a especially when you're doing it over like two hours live. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because there's no song there's no song really where you're just taking a complete back seat. Yeah, mm. Roger so,
2: refers to it as getting in touring trim. It's, it's basically yeah. you have to work yeah. up to it so that when you're on tour, you're you're, you're f- fully operating. And I think the difference between the old days and, and, and now is that afterwards he needs a massage and he needs to relax, you know, to right. sort of stay, to be able to stay at that level. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sure when he was in his 20s and 30s, he could he could play a gig and then go out partying and yeah, do yeah, all the things course. you want a rock star to do. But I don't think it's, he couldn't do it. I think it's about looking after himself now so that he can keep doing it. And we're, you know, aren't we lucky that he can? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And he's you know, got a lot more, of drummers suffer. You know, he's got more
0: inventive rappers. with his drum solos on these gigs and stuff. And you know, he's—I oh, love him. I absolutely love him. I think it's fantastic. And actually, do you know what, Sue's? I think uh, I think we, you normally go. Oh no, what, right? So do you know what's... Oh, what is, oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 is it? Yeah, Ray? yeah. Sorry, yeah. it's because I've
1: heard myself do that on the podcast, and I think if I'd be annoyed listening to that, I'd think, "Oh, shut up." Oh, <laughs> thing. So no, what is it, Ray? What is yeah, yeah. It?
0: <laughs> so I think we should stick with Roger Taylor as a theme as we move into the feature of the show called Simon Says.
4: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>
0: So Simon, yes. I think what we're going to do is address this, there's been a little bit, right way back on uh, uh, Queen 1, Side 2, we yes. were talking about uh, modern times rock and roll.
2: I know where you're going with this, go on. <laughs> <first>. <laughs>
0: um, and there seems to be some confusion over whether or not modern times rock and roll was ever played live. Um, and... Uh, uh, it also happens to be on a Queen album called Live at the Rainbow.
2: <laughs> just, just a small major concert that they gave. Yes, I re- I recall yeah. that now. Yes. <laughs> uh, so You've got it. Yeah, yeah,
0: there we go. Here we go. Live at the Rainbow. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Side twenty.
5: It, it was on both both times John's they did the rainbow. It's, it's actually like on the both and Simon. And it's yes. written.
3: It's twice written down twice on the back of this uh, deluxe box set I've got <laughs> yeah. uh, here. I, so, I
2: need three step verification. I need you to have written it three <laughs> times. <before laughs> well, I it's actually
3: it's a third time on the Blu-ray. <laughs> so my question to you, Simon, is if did they ever play? Sorry, there's also there's also bonus tracks and it's on. It's written down four times on the back of the. Uh, on the back of the yeah, the, the
0: uh, wasn't it set? on that BBC
2: recordings thing as well? Anyway, no, uh, yeah,
3: yeah, it was. Uh, just it actually became questions. a
2: staple of of their tour <laughs> for, for several years <laughs> after that. So, in answer to my own question, I can't remember if they uh, played it live. I couldn't remember, but
3: I, I it has now been pointed out to me that yes, obviously they did. Um, well, Simon, you're not the only person who's put your foot in a Queen pat uh, because. <laughs> I claimed somewhat uh, arrogantly a couple of podcasts ago that um, my melancholy blues was just uh, piano and bass. (laughs) It really isn't. Oh. Dear, oh dear! With a little bit of drums going on in that yeah, song and as some well, guitar. Oh. and a little bit of uh, all of the instruments that the band members every, play.
1: <laughs> every instrument. Well, yeah. I hold my but hands up. But it has
0: the then, feel
3: of like a lounge it does. jazz. song. It does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: it does. It would work. And also, the edge. guitar Absolutely. is genuinely so subtle; it's just adding a little edge to the to the bass.
5: Yeah, um, mm.
0: which is sustained. But I did go back and listen to your little statement on that podcast. I mean, one thing you did say is, I'm not sure if they played it like. However, I think if they did, they played it slower. And I thought it might be fun if we quickly listen to <laughs> it li- live oh, and then listen to it on the album idea. just to see. Yes. So, this is Modern Times Rock and Roll live at the Rainbow, November
4: 1974. They did it at the Rainbow. Time, and time, and yeah.
0: All right, all right. So big difference there. Freddie's belting it out because even Roger mm. can't <laughs> sing it play this track at
5: the same time, which I think is fair.
0: Um, fair but this is, this is how it sounds. Uh, On the studio album. What
5: do
2: you think? Oh, definitely faster on the studio album. Yeah. It is faster on album the studio versus, album, isn't yeah. it? Marginally, but, but still. But only a, only a bit. Yeah. No, I think only about,
0: yeah. 5%. Like an eighth of a bit. Well, you're the percussionist, Simon. How, how many beats an faster? eighth of a bit. I, well,
2: I I happen to know that I, I believe that the the studio one is supposed to be played at 230 beats per minute. Right. Wow. And I think the la, the live one is slightly lower than that, probably 220, no, 220 or some 20, something. Yeah, something like right. that, okay, which is, you to, to you or I, is really not much in it, but I imagine to Roger over the course of a live gig means a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. stops him from passing out. Well,
0: there we go. I think that is a righteous, Simon says, encompassing so many, so many uh, uh, fantastic corrections. So well done, everyone. Um, shall we head um, back to the work? Uh, sorry, well, Simon. Before we do, no, yeah. before we
2: do, because I completely forgot that I'd actually... Um, had a look at the tour that they, they did to support Sheer Heart Attack and um, I was going to talk about it at the beginning of the podcast but I completely forgot. So would would now be a good time, to do, time to, to do that. Now is the
0: ideal time to do that in your, in your, your that. section of the show, yeah.
2: In my, <laughs> yes, so you, we're going to stay in my section for a bit longer. <laughs> okay. uh, none of you are allowed out. Are you still
0: um, upset about the intro I gave you because the one I gave to Suze was so much worse?
5: It's fine. I I know my place. No,
2: yeah. It's fine. (laughs) We'll talk about it later. So, um, (laughs) basically, uh, Queen embarked on a very ambitious tour to promote this album. In fact, it was their first world tour um, to promote an album. Um, It started in the UK on the 30th of October in 1974, and they then moved on to Scandinavia, then into Europe, uh, covering Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, and finished in Spain six weeks later. And then on the 13th of December, uh, sorry, uh, six weeks later, on the 13th of December, uh, before on the 5th of February 1975, they crossed over to the USA and Canada and ended up in Japan with the last show on May the 1st. They did a total of 76 shows across 18 weeks of touring. Um, and it actually would have been more, but eight shows had to be cancelled for reasons I will get onto in a moment. Um, it boasted a brand new lighting rig, and we know lo- Queen love lighting rig, um, in Leeds, Roger ended up in hospital um, because during the gig, his monitor failed, which meant he couldn't hear anything he was singing or playing. And he was so frustrated and irate that after the show, he threw a tantrum backstage and ended up with a severely bruised foot. Uh, a few weeks later in Glasgow, towards the end of the show, uh, Freddie ventured a bit too close to the crowd and was dragged off stage into the audience oh, no. and had to be rescued by some security guards. Um, Afterwards, Freddie described the incident as a rather undignified affair. Um, (laughs) They, of course, did the Rainbow concert in November um, as part of this tour, which was filmed for promotional purposes with a 30 minute highlight section being edited together and shown uh, in cinemas as an opener for the Led Zeppelin film. The song remains the same. Oh, wow. During the Scandinavian part of the tour, uh, the truck carrying some of Queen's stage equipment was involved in an accident in which it overturned, causing extensive damage, and so the last two scheduled concerts had to be cancelled due to the lack of equipment. Um, And then when the tour moved into Europe, having just been repaired, the same truck was then stuck under a low bridge, and another truck company had to be enlisted to rescue the equipment and keep the show on the road. That particular company was called Edwin Shirley Trucking, and fans who have seen The Magic Years will have seen Edward Shirley uh, featured um, because from that point onwards, they bequeens, became Queen's UK and European truckers. Right. Blown away by that, aren't you? Um, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I love right? <laughs> <years>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Edwin Shirley truckers. Uh, midway through the US tour, Freddie starts to suffer from a sore throat and on seeing a specialist is diagnosed with nodules on his vocal cords, which can only be treated with three months rest. He was too afraid to tell the rest of the band um, because they didn't want another US tour to be compromised. Um, But Freddie did the next show and then saw a second opinion. Uh, This revealed that he actually was just suffering from swelling um, and Mm. some antibiotics were prescribed. Um, However, he did need to rest, but six shows got cancelled as he only needed a couple of weeks off rather than the three months they feared. Um, The tour then moved to Japan, uh, and I probably don't need to remind you of just how extraordinary that was. Um, with the band getting their first real taste of what Beatlemania was like. Um, They were adored by the Japanese and were frequently mobbed wherever they went. And on more than one occasion during the show, Freddie had to appeal to the crowd to calm down for fear of people getting injured because they went absolutely bonkers. (laughs) Um, The final point I'd like to make is that in those days, the band had to pay for their own tour. Um, unlike today where tours are massive money-making opportunities and they get sponsorship and so forth uh, bands would struggle to break even and on the whole would normally lose money on touring Um, however the theory was it was necessary to get out on the road and promote your album and single sales so that's where you would make your money Queen's production values on their tour were so lavish and ambitious that they were making significant losses um, but felt it was essential to build the reputation they wanted The result, however, was despite releasing three albums, having chart success in both the album and singles charts, and regularly selling out their shows, the fact was Queen were broke, uh, in debt, and becoming increasingly frustrated that their success was not reflected in their income. This had started to cause serious friction between the band and their management. Um, which would soon come to a head and is something we will discuss when we get to our Night
3: at the Opera Mm.
4: podcast.
3: Um, But I want to leave you with one... If this was on BBC4, Simon, you would have said, they needed a hit. Cut to (laughs) our... Yes! (laughs) If only they could have a groundbreaking song that would break
2: all records and remain part of the If you cut into an ad break, though, it would be um, uh,
5: Sky
0: Arts. ITV. Uh, yeah, Sky
2: Arts, for example. So I have a quick question for you then. Bearing in mind that it was very difficult to make money on tours until you were big enough, in which year do you think Queen finally managed to make a profit on their tour? How long do you think it took them to turn a tour into profit rather than loss? This is going to be a religion. mad answer, isn't it?
0: So... I go on then. You guys have a go because I've got a theory.
1: Is it going to be something like twenty eleven? I don't think they <laughs> ever did.
2: I don't
0: think I'm they going to did. say
3: the
2: ma- the Magic Tour. You'd be yeah. absolutely right. The Magic Tour was the only wow. tour with Freddie that they made yeah. any money on it, and it was because simply because they were playing stadiums by that point, so they were playing to mm. fifty, sixty thousand audiences, rather that's than that's
3: insane, isn't it? Just mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's that happened. is absolutely insane because yeah. when you take the cost of a ticket to live at Wembley and adjust it for inflation, it's around 40 quid. Yeah. It's Whereas if, if you were going to see, I don't know, Rolling Stones at Wembley now, I'm sure it would be 100 quid starting oh, no. price.
5: Oh, I think yeah. it's like
0: at least 200 to see the Stones. Yeah, um, I,
2: I think you're right. I think, you know, you and you and and you're paying upwards of what, how many hundreds to go and sit in the VIP and get the VIP yeah, experience. Yeah. Mm. The merchandising is so much...
3: That is that, Simon. That's the first interesting thing you've ever said on this podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank (laughs) you very much. I've been Simon Lupton. Good night. (laughs) That is
2: amazing. You think that's more interesting than Edwin Shirley trucking? I am shocked, quite frankly. <laughs> you. <laughs> you, you don't have to
0: include all the information as what we're saying. So no, I, just, saying. I no. just thought, you know... No, I oh. love the trucking bit. I love the trucking bit. Please do keep the was, detail.
2: I thought that was a banker, the the, the trucking bit. <laughs> no, no it's fantastic. In fact, someone
0: on, on Twitter even You've... sent me, I think, one of the boxes that was retrieved from that particular tour and... Um, Uh, We're going
3: to get a tweet saying, um, actually, Simon, it was uh, Edwin Shirley logistics, (laughs) not Edwin Shirley trucking. I can't believe you
0: actually said that on the podcast. But I remember that being a
3: big flip,
0: uh, you know, where tours were there to promote albums. And then suddenly albums were really there to start promoting tours. And it's sort of the dawn of the era of, I think, Destiny's Child and that kind of era, that movement in pop started to, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not really mm. about the album and single sales anymore. It's about selling tickets to show.
3: A promoter nowadays would say, if you're selling out a gig, the tickets are too cheap. Yeah. So really, you, you have to. You have the the dream is you you sell out, but you sell out like the day before. That's what mm. every promoter, every venue is looking for because you want the ticket price. And I personally disagree with this. Um, but you want the ticket price to be the absolute maximum of what the market will will sort of will um, accept. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. It's it's. But then difficult, you just end though, up playing to your richest fans. Yeah, exactly. It is difficult yeah. when you know you you desperately want to go and see a band and you're you're, you're talking over a hundred quid to go and see them. It's that, that's out of reach for a lot of people. Yeah, but, completely. But yeah. you know, we we live in a, in a situation where you know demand drives the price, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. if they're selling out at that that level, then it's it's harder to, to argue against it. But I think a lot of bands work very hard to, to sort of try and protect a certain number of seats or the standing or something that is much more reasonably priced.
3: Well, a lot of bands sell half of their tickets in advance to uh, secondary ticketing agencies and uh, <sighs> split the proceeds of the inflated cost, Ooh. mentioning no names, but a, a famous tax dodging uh Boy band members band oh, uh, right. do, have have done that, I, but you might I, want to check that legally. So, so they might have not done. <laughs> that. Well, we've not mentioned any names, so let's not <laughs> no, let's <laughs> move on before we we end.
2: You talk you about Boyzone going... or Blue? <laughs> Could be either or both, <laughs> or someone entirely different. All right, okay. Um, should
0: we get back to the works? That was great, you, Simon. Please. Genuinely yeah. great. Well done, mate. Thank you. Uh, round of applause for Simon. Thank you. Good Simon says. All right, so we've got this uh, little ditty by Brian May, this lovely little lullaby called Dear Friends. Uh, I think we'll just play a little bit of it and uh, uh, have the briefest of chats about it. It's a lovely (laughs) little... um, Do you know what? I think it's in context of the album that I think this works really, really well. Uh, um, And I think that although it is a crazy side, as you say, um, John, it is an eclectic side and it is... It is. It is. It is a very, very. It's, there's a lot of variety in it, and I've always loved that about Queen. So here we go. Here's some um, dear friends.
4: So dear friends, your love is gone. One, go to sleep. It's
0: lovely. Now, this track does, I'm pretty sure, in the description of any tweets we get, I'm pretty sure this song only features Freddie on vocals and Brian on the piano for this
3: song. Oh, um, but it's a lovely it's song, little yeah. bar, Yeah, it's beautiful. Thinking about it in the context of the album, I wonder if I can imagine Brian, you know how he said he was very sort of worried that Queen would carry on without him and yeah. he was very touched when they brought in mixes of the songs? I wonder if he sort of came up with it as a little sort of uh, reflection on his time in hospital and yeah. and sort of being back with his friends again. Yeah. It's oh, that's feeling, a beautiful thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea. That's great. Yeah. Um It's like old lang syne. Queen's yes, it, is. it does <laughs> have that kind of vibe. It, yeah. Happy New Year, dear friends. Mm. It's
0: it's funny actually. It's a song that's never too far from my mind. It just sticks around and. In my consciousness of Queen stuff, it comes up quite quickly. Um, mm. uh, and uh, it was released on some versions of the five live EP, not to be confused with the, that business with the band five, but um, it was a, a, <laughs> a, a single released in, or a, a, an EP released in April 93, performed primarily by Queen and George Michael, and all proceeds of the EP benefited the Mercury Phoenix Trust.
3: Which I um, believe got to number one.
0: Yes. Did it? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Of course, the Somebody to Love version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was immense. George oh, smashed that. Absolutely smashed so that. So much soul. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, it had Somebody to Love on it. had Killer, uh, performed by George Michael. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Uh, these are the Days of Our Lives, which were performed by Queen George Michael Lisa Stansfield. Calling you, which was just George at Wembley Arena, and uh, dear friends,
3: just the studio recording was chucked on there on some of the oh, um, yeah. some of the single versions around the world. Why, yeah. Simon? This is a question for later episodes. But why were so many early deep cuts chucked on the not chucked? I don't mean that disparagingly, but put on the B sides of Miracle and Innuendo singles.
2: Hmm. I don't know. Can I come back to you on that one? Yes,
3: you may. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <sighs>
3: They're always good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were but little it's, gifts. It's kind of, it's, it's interesting. I wonder whether it was a sort of a concerted effort to push people to the early albums. Maybe.
0: Sometimes they
3: were different recordings or cuts. I mean Stone Cold Crazy
0: could and should have been a single really, I think. But um yeah. Well we was go. it
3: sort of settling old disagreements in the band of like, oh that my should have had my song as a single in nineteen seventy-four. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Some sort of yeah. location. Um all right, listen, let's let us get to the debut of the mighty John Deacon. Uh, our bass player, someone that, uh, I don't know if we've talked enough about John's genius, but he is a genius. Hmm. Um, but here he is.
3: He's also playing an awful lot of guitar on this album. He is, yes, yeah. He, yeah, he is, played really.
0: most of the guitars on the track, as well as the bass. He played the acoustic and electric guitars across most of it. So,
1: Presumably because Brian was absent.
3: Yeah, well, he, he, he plays acoustic guitar on, let me get this right, and hope that Wikipedia is also right, on Tenement Funster. In the lap of the gods, Miss Fire and uh, She Makes Me, Stormtrooper in Stilettos. Oh, right. mm. And electric guitar on Miss Fire. Lovely. Well. Right. Um, all
0: right, let's listen to a little bit of this track and then we can have a nice old natter about it. get the idea there mm. so john's first song i've got strong feelings about this song but um and i know I've, I've definitely you've got some stuff to say about this john but Suze and simon Suze, how do you feel about Miss Fire? where do you land on it
1: i think it's really cute it sounds a bit like a beatles song
0: yeah
5: it's
1: like shades of beatles in it and you can also hear in this shades of you're my best friend absolutely 100%. you can hear where he went and now I can put this on an album. Mm. It must have been quite a big deal for him to go because he was the youngest by some way in the mm. band mm. to go, "I've got a song
0: mm. well, Freddie really <laughs> which, encouraged him, didn't he? Like,
1: yeah, which they yeah, they a had a really sort of Simon close Spencer, relationship, didn't mm. they yeah, yeah yeah, yeah
0: How about you,
2: Simon? Where does miss? Yeah, I think stand it, in i your I, I, like, I like it a lot. I think there's a fantastic bass line, which you would mm. you would hope for from from JD. Um, but I'm actually just, it's just occurred to me listening to it now is uh, for those of you that listened to our Tim Stafford chat the other week, um, he he was talking about how he, he learned the art of, of songwriting, you know, in those early days with 1984 and then smile, they were finding their way. And so by the time we get to Queen, you know, Freddie and and Brian in particular and Roger have all had experience of writing songs Whereas I think John is learning very much in the public mm. eye as, as Queen becomes this hugely successful thing. And the, the amazing thing is is he he ramps up to having huge hit singles very, very quickly. Um, but I, I, I think with Misfire, it would be fair to say that it benefits from the other members of the band chipping in
5: mm. and,
2: and doing their bit. Um, I think, you know, because John wasn't a confident singer, he found it very hard to communicate to Freddie in particular, how he wanted the song sung. So Freddie would spend a lot of time working it out and helping him with that side of it. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that it's very it's very bass-heavy. There's lots of guitars, which is obviously... John was something he was very comfortable with.
3: Yeah. It, it must be very hard to write songs if you can't sing. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: that. And can, communicate
3: to other people what you're, what's in your head. Can Here's a question for the broader music fans. Can Jim Steinman and uh, Bernie Torpin sing.
1: Ah, uh, that's it, mm. yeah. Jim
3: Steinman can, because that's part of the reason they fell out and he started releasing his own singles. I'm guessing Bernie Torpin doesn't need to because he's, he's just lyrics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of like musical theatre composers who can't sing, but they mm. get a real good understanding of the male and female voice. Mm. Uh, so they can write in it, I guess.
3: Well, speaking of the male and female voice... Oh, um, uh, I've I mentioned... Got,
0: I've got... To, I think I've got a way into this for you, John, actually. Okay. Because <laughs> what, what I will say, like, you can't love all Queen songs. And mm-hmm. I have to say that from the next album onwards, when you're talking about your, You're My Best Friend, You and I, Spread Your Wings, all these ama- Another One but Stuff, amazing tracks that John, con- you know, continues to bang out, I Want to Break Free My Card. So... I love John as a writer. I really do. I do think that the title of this song is quite apt for me. Um, and the issue I've got with it is, I you know, there's a bit of the song that I absolutely love. That last little bit that I play with is, Don't you miss fire? I love all that. Sorry about the singing. But I love all of that. Um, but that guitar air raid siren, that I have always found that very challenging to listen to and I have never held that song close to my heart um, until you sir John Robbins well tell us about it
3: well I um, am a huge fan of uh, singer-songwriter Nico Case uh, someone who I discovered in about 2000 2001 Uh, she is uh, I guess you'd put her in the Genre of like Americana, sort of uh, alt country, yeah. but she also sings with a band called The New Pornographers. And she, she released an album with Katie Lang and Laura Veers under Case Lang Veers. Um, if I talk at too great a length about <coughs> how much she means to me, I will cry uh, because <laughs> she means uh, an enormous oh, amount to me. Um, and her voice is something quite exceptional but her songwriting is also unlike anything else i've ever heard. So anyway, i've seen Nico Case live probably 10 times and i was getting ready to uh see her live and this was about 4 or 5 years ago. So um it's a, an out so her first album is called The Virginian and it was released under Nico Case and her boyfriends and uh, i put it on and it's sort of very of all her work it's the most country. And it's a mixture of covers and her own tracks. So I'm listening to this album, getting ready to uh, go and see her live. And then the last song on the album plays. And within about three seconds, uh, my jaw had well and truly hit the floor. So I'm now going to play you (laughs) Why? Check out the double roll drumming on that. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I should point out that Nico's voice is the second one you hear, so she's doing the higher, sort of of slightly stronger parts, and the deeper voice is another singer. Um, But I just couldn't... I could not believe Hmm. that my favourite singer-songwriter was covering my favourite band, and that the song she was covering was such a like the I think we can agree that's the deepest cut yeah yeah you couldn't
1: get a much deeper cut than that yeah so I
3: immediately googled Nico Case Queen (laughs) and there's a a, an interview she gave I think the Guardian where it says Nico Case sits down in the cafe wearing a distressed Queen t-shirt and I was just like yes (laughs) (laughs) so I always love it when my heroes are fans of my heroes yes yeah <laughs> i once read an a, an interview with captain beefheart where he quoted my favorite philip larkin poem and it just
4: blew my wow. mind
3: but yeah so there's a a cover that i don't think an, a lot of queen fans will know about because it's tucked away at the end of nico case's first ever album there and it's not certainly not one of her more famous albums but well worth checking out. Uh, It's from the album The Virginian. Did she talk about why she picked that track? Because, yeah, go on. I I haven't found much of her talking about that, but she certainly talked about really being a fan of Queen um, and them having a a big influence on her, even though it's not something you'd pick up necessarily from her her work.
0: It's a brilliant selection because, unlike most covers, uh, this is one that I think... Dare I say, it improves upon the original by stripping out that layer of guitar for me. And what emerges is the song underneath it that I absolutely adore. And on the mm. album listing, it's written by John Deacon. And yes, yes, it was, sir. It was written by John Deacon. And it's a great track. Suddenly, it fits when I hear that version of it. And I did I did a big old deep dive into Nico. So thank you for, 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 for introducing welcome. me to that but i absolutely adore that version and it is a song that i now love <laughs> very very much um because of that version of it
3: i think on a broader point that we should definitely cover in a separate podcast or on another episode about you don't there aren't many covers of queen songs by major artists and if mm. you search on those online sort of collections of of covers because you can search by song and some songs have like you know 60 100 covers of them but not Queen songs. And I wonder if it's because they have very few songs that A, you would be able to distract enough from the fact that it's a Queen song and B, that there's anything left to do yeah. with that song. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah, like I can not think improved, you could honestly. cover Killer Queen put, 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 or like a big song like Innuendo because mm. you'd be thinking this is a Queen song mm-hmm. and mm. they're sort of, they've turned it up to 11 on so many songs. Well, I wonder whether actually something like Misfire, it gives you so much more scope to reinvent the song.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um I think it's queensongs.info has a little list of the covers. Uh, but I did have a little explore on on covers of Queen songs and I did find 9-inch Nails covering Get Down Make Love off uh <laughs> is it News of the World that Get Down Make Love is on which is, yeah, it is. a banana song and one that I I have a particular uh pl- yeah I, I really enjoy it. Um but the 9-inch Nails which is really full on and you do not see it being uh, get Down, Make Love, until about halfway
3: through the track. And then you're like,
0: oh yeah, no, no, it really is. It's, <laughs> it really is like, just gone for it.
3: <laughs> it's interesting that there's two covers on, two songs on this album that I know have been covered. So there's Stone Cold Crazy by Metallica, which makes perfect sense. Sure. Yeah. If, if you were going to get Metallica or any metal band to cover a Queen song, you would go Stone Cold Crazy. Mm. And then another song where... Perhaps it doesn't make as much sense, but you can see why someone has gone, I can do something with this.
1: Yeah. There they don't people doing queen covers, they tend to have to stick to the queen arrangement with a lot of the songs. I remember on X Factor one year, some teenager did a really wispy John Lewis version of Somebody to Love and it was horrible.
5: (laughs) It just did not work at all. Yeah.
1: And uh, you, you go, oh, yeah, no, Queen showed you how to do it. There's not like yeah. some other direction to take this in. So yeah.
0: We don't need a birdie cover of I Want It All, particularly, do we? <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: if anyone does want to discover the wider world of Nico Case, um, Blacklisted and Fox Confessor Brings the Flood and Middle Cyclone. Actually, all, all of her <laughs> studio albums, including those three I've just mentioned, if when I'm on my iTunes, there are very few... I've got a special system whereby I only give five stars or none. Oh! So that, <laughs> okay. So that gives me a five-star playlist of all the absolute <laughs> John Queen. Robbins bangers. Right. Uh, <laughs> th- those first three Nico Case albums, her solo ones, are... The whole album, sir? They are... Well, there's only one album in my collection, which is all five-star songs. Right, okay.
1: Oh. Um,
3: and uh, I'm going to keep that a secret. Oh. No, it's Astral Weeks. Uh, but um, <laughs> those first three Niska nice K solo albums are peppered mm, with five-star yeah. bangers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ooh. It's amazing stuff. And hopefully she'll suddenly see a random spike in downloads of Misfire, which would yeah. be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, uh So, yeah, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. I think as well, that's why the track listing goes Stone Cold Crazy then, dear friends, then misfire because you can't have stone cold crazy and then a much quote unquote smaller yeah. guitar solo, uh, a yeah. guitar song. So you have to put in like a palate cleanser. In yeah, the room, and that's what yeah. dear friends acts as.
0: It's like a fine sorbet, isn't it, dear friends? Mm. Yeah, lovely. Um, all right, brilliant. Let's uh, uh, let's move on to the next feature of the show: news of the world. Come on, honey. Thank you, John Deacon, for our theme for News of the World. Right, so, uh, there's a couple of bits of bobs that have come up. Um, the first thing I wanted to mention was, John, you, you talked about that auction for the Mercury Phoenix Trust uh, on the last episode. With um, Roger's
3: sweater. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, that has now closed, and it's raised a total of £28,431 wow. for the Mercury yeah, Phoenix yeah. Trust. Amazing. So, Get well in. done, you guys. That was great. Um Uh, we've got um, Freddie Mercury Street on the 24th of September. Do you guys know about this? Freddie Mercury Street has been announced in Munich. A street will be named after Freddie in Munich, located south of the Olympic Park, near Olympic Park Hall, where Queen often performed. It's a process that began with radio station Rock Antenna having the idea in October 2015, who together with listeners wanted more rock-themed street names for Germany. Surely it should be Friedrich Mercury Strasse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well there was already check this out john put your seatbelts on a frank Zappa street in berlin but that wasn't enough so now we do have friedrich mercury Strasse uh in munich so there you go um and uh the other big news at the moment is obviously uh we've got the uh we, we've talked to, i think yeah we're going to do an episode on the Um, Live Around the World album that's just come out, which is fantastic, the Blu-ray and CD. Um, And Brian, Roger and Adam did a stream Q&A to promote the launch of that, which I've I've done about half of it. I've had time to do about half of it. It's absolutely fantastic. They're so lovely together, and they're all in a room together, which is really nice. Um, And the interview is good. He's not as good as Simon, but he's good. Uh, And um, uh, there's a lovely moment where they're talking about uh, what their uh, what uh singles they they're all going to pick out a little single that's unknown, like what little queen single they might pull out, and Brian chooses the miracle he just he just goes it's one of Freddie's songs and it's very special to him, and he pulls out the miracle, which I thought was a lovely little moment, so yeah, that's live of the greatest out.
3: hits two <laughs> he's misunderstood the brief <laughs>
2: no the question yeah, the question Brian. was was what was their favorite queen song. Oh,
3: that's I'm, right.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Brian. And he picked I've, I've, the
2: miracle, which is incredible.
0: Brian, Brian, you know. I've,
3: he said that before in interviews, so I'm used to being let uh, okay. down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he does love the miracle, doesn't he? Roger it's sort of said song. Bohemian
3: Rhapsody,
0: which surprised me, given the the contention over the. Um, Double A side nature of that album. But well, of course he picked Bohemian Rhapsody. That's made me <laughs> yeah. more than anything he's ever done.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: clever man, very clever man. But it's a lovely, <laughs> lovely interview. It's an hour long. It's very well worth checking out, and it's um, very recent. So it's lo- and it was lovely to see you know Brian and fine health and, and 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 up on his feet and into it, which was great. Um, there is also a massive Mojo article this month, like quite. A Big Mojo article which delves into the mixing process on Bohemian Rhapsody. And I haven't had a chance to look at this, but producer Giles has. And you were telling me something amazing, producer Giles, about... I can't quite remember because it was a, a few days ago you were telling me about this, but the way in which it was recorded.
6: There's an excellent article in, in this month's Mojo magazine. Uh, so there's an eight-page do on, on on Bohemian Rhapsody and the recording of it and the effect it had and the influence it had. But what was extraordinary about it was because they had so many tracks, something like 186 vocal tracks alone on that, on a 24-track recorder. So wow. as we talked about in previous episodes, they had to keep bouncing things and pre-mixing groups of vocals. Mm. But even then, where these days you'd set a mixing desk to... You'd, you'd see the bars go up and down, the faders go up and down automatically. You had to have someone doing that live, which mm. on a four-track mixer back in the 60s would have been fine for one person with two hands you know as it was to mix Bohemian Rhapsody they needed 12 people stood at the mixing desk all with four faders each all looking at each other moving (laughs) in time It was as much of a performance mixing the song as it was recording it and apparently Freddie kept pushing
0: himself a bit too high so they had to keep going again <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like every time they made a mistake, they'd have to stop, start again, go over it again. And amazing, oh, amazing what those guys, what went into producing the music that we almost take for granted. Yeah. A song like Bohemian Rhapsody, we all take for granted, but the actual skills that went into making that appear as a piece of audio compared yeah. to now, you know, you, absolutely wonderful. So I absolutely loved that. Mm. So that's good. Has anyone else got any news of the world? Well, that's good. We can move on back to the song, um, uh, uh, an incredible song. Uh, So let's get back to the works and talk about uh, Freddie Mercury's two-minute and 13-second genius piece of work Mm. called Bring Back That Leroy Brown.
4: Bring back, bring back, bring
7: back that Leroy Brown. Him down, gotta hit that ladder too. Bring back, bring back, bring back that Leroy Brown. Bring back, bring back, gotta bring that Leroy Brown. Big fat Leroy Brown, he got no common sense. He got no brains, but he sure got a lot of style. Can't stand no more in this here jail. I gotta risk myself with this sentence. Gotta get out the heat, step in the shade. Gotta get me that dinner alive. Oh,
4: This is what you say. Big bad, big boy, big bad I'm
7: gonna get that cutie pie. Bring back, bring back, bring back that Leroy
0: Brown. I absolutely... I, do you know, I always thought that this must have been a cover of a classic vaudeville song. But it isn't. It is a Freddie Mercury original and it sounds exactly what this song should have sounded like uh, all the way through. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it does allude to uh, a hit at the time, a recent hit at the time called Bad, Bad Leroy Brown, uh, which was a hit by Jim Croker in 1973, um, who had died in a plane crash the previous year. Um, and that was Croker's last number one single. Mm. Um uh but it's 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 brilliant it's completely brilliant um i've got loads to say about it but uh how how do you guys feel about bring back leroy brown
3: it well, it, it continues a real uh, unguessable um what's the word the the direction this side of the album goes you could not say what song is yeah, coming next it's completely next if you hadn't unpredictable it yes <laughs> it's it's bonkers and brilliant I, personally, I just have always thought it's a it's a night of the opera song. Mm. Sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's this this could easily go like in place of Good Company or Seaside Rendezvous. Absolutely. That's not a criticism, but it's yeah. clearly. I wonder if it's sparked a kind of. It's so vaudeville and it's yeah. so unrocky yeah. that I wonder uh, that I wonder if um, it's it's a. Like a lot of these albums have, I think in a sense there are a lot of times where we've wanted to say this is all leading up to a night at the opera. Yeah, mm. Mm. Um, and definitely I think um, uh, Leroy Brown is. I love it. It's mad though. That's, it's weird. Yeah. It's really a weird song.
0: <laughs> it's not weird though because it's it's true to its own genre of song. Freddie will tilt at a genre of song and then smash it, um, and he's yeah. done that here, don't you think? So
1: absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like old Timpan Alley. Yeah, where they would in the twenties and thirties in New York, they'd have all these songwriters with the windows open, banging out songs on the piano, yeah. and you'd go and it sat and it, they called it Timpan Alley because it sounded like a cacophony. Right, so, it's such a sophisticated song, and it's got a real sense of humor, which you don't. How often do you find that in rock bands, like? It's a re- it's a really funny song without being a comedy song, and it's so sophisticated. Those train whistle augmented chords with they're going woo woo. Yeah, that's Yes. Yeah. and
0: the bass driving like an engine. Just dum, yes, dum dum. Well mm. yeah. oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant, and it, there are bits of it and where it's almost impossible not to listen to without waggling your finger like a, mm, in a Charleston yeah. way, you know. Um, <laughs> but the
3: reason I say it's weird is why is what is that doing on a English rock yes. band's 1974 <laughs> album.
0: That is an interesting question, and I have thought about it a little bit, and I I wonder if Freddie had a fascination with Western culture ingrained in him from the mm. from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, he was singing with the Hectics early on, and uh, when he was in the choir at school, and all that kind of stuff. And mm. I think he, you know, if you've noticed, even across these three albums, he has been interested in exploring various facets of very Western pop culture but time. i
3: think this is there's a lot more may at work on this track than than mercury in terms of the the all the little ukulele bits oh, he's obsessed yeah. with the ukulele yeah is i think his dad played the ukulele i think he had a ukulele before he had a guitar mm-hmm. right and i think a lot of the musicianship on this track is is may and coming from a lot of his early influences and i wonder if that suddenly when the night of the opera came it just kind of exploded mm-hmm. I've got a quote from Brian on this very subject actually an
0: interview Ooh. Ooh. Uh, that he did on Radio 1 on again Christmas Eve 1977 uh, the ukulele was incidental to that song uh, Bring back that Leroy Brown, uh, because uh, it was Freddie's song. It had this kind of vaudeville atmosphere, and I just thought the ukulele would go nicely on it. And we worked beside it, so it could be done. And I managed to fiddle a little ukulele solo. Uh, and when performed live, Brian's ukulele banjo would be brought on especially for that song. Um, it, it was the live version was a shorter arrangement um, that was actually oh, you couldn't almost do all instrumental. That yeah, they, right. they, Yeah, except for the very end. Then they'd, they'd come in with the vocals mm-hmm. at the end. But, um, I- incredible. but I think it's,
3: I think it's got a sort of I think um, good company is its sort of sister yes. song, mm, and yeah. that's a May track. Mm. So I just wonder how much of May machinations are, are mm-hmm. at work here. Well, yeah, I mean, and the drumming's insane. Uh,
0: you know, Simon's been talking about what Roger gets up to on the drums, um, and in Drum exclamation mark, Magazine, uh, they they remarked that it really shows off Taylor's versatility. He nails dozens of kicks throughout this fast and tricky song and proves that he could have been a big band drummer or ably fit into any theatrical pit band if Queen hadn't worked out so well for him. You know, so <laughs> I, I, absolutely well, I wonder I mean, if I he ever said s- that to them. Guys, I, <laughs> yeah, I could I could be praise. in the pit <laughs> band right now. <laughs> yeah, <what> <laughs> I wonder if he's ever snuck in on we will rock you. Just sort of no. Of course, he hasn't. He's Roger I Taylor. He genuinely has. I genuinely there the
2: last place you'd ever find Roger Taylor is in the is
0: in the pit of a West End. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Whenever he did We Will Rock You, he had a riser that came out of the stage. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
5: and
0: it wasn't exactly the pit band. I've sat on that. It was amazing. Um, uh-huh. uh, so, yeah, uh, it is a truly, truly brilliant song for me, mm. uh, certainly. And it's, it's incredibly skillful. It has all that energy and speed of... It's a counterpoint to uh, Stone Cold Crazy in so many ways. That you know, yeah. Both of those songs have so much urgency... Um, uh, but what is lovely is if you get the deluxe version of uh, of, of this album, "Sheer Heart Attack, there is an a cappella version of the song. And I just wanted to play a little bit of that for c- comparison, if if you will indulge me, because I think it's absolutely wonderful.
7: Big Mama Lulu Bear, she had a nervous breakdown. She had a nervous breakdown. Leroy taking her honey child
4: away. Wait. But she made Ooh. him take- a shotgun to his head, and unless I be mistaken, this is what she said: Big bad,
7: big boy, big bad Leroy Brown. I'm gonna get that cutie pie. Bring back, bring back, bring back, bring back that Leroy Brown. Yeah. Big bad cost a mighty fine sensation. Yeah, yeah. Got, him, got himself elected president. We want Leroy for president. Next time. You gotta hit a bitty batty weather this time. Like a Jimmy Chamby leather, he's a big boy, bad boy, Leroy. Don't get where you get him from. Bring that big bad Leroy back. Want him back. back
0: amazing right um <laughs> and fred singing with such urgency and power
1: yeah yeah with Brilliant. That, with that dixieland sound as well yeah, in the voice yeah, yeah. like he just he understands that vocal style
3: so is is the fact so the ukulele appears on that a cappella uh mix is that because of the bouncing so you would have had so you're building those tapes Oh, so, you so you would have had the, you would have had a had to have a guitar fit on that because they didn't have enough tracks to just have the vocals oh, on. There see, are yeah.
0: tiny bursts of instrumentation throughout that a cappella thing, and I think it might be to fill the gaps, essentially. Oh, okay. I think that's that's what it's there for.
6: It's also very likely that they would have recorded the ukulele on vocal mics, and so they would have just bunched all the stuff recorded on vocal mics
0: together. Superb insight.
5: <laughs> My
0: last question
5: on this <laughs> nailed it.
0: is Did they get John Anthony back to do that bass uh, you know, that low I bring my dad. Who up? does it?
1: I looked it up. It's Freddie. Is Freddy it? He slowed his voice down.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he and sang it there, at a pitch. But there's that also would fit when you slowed um, it down.
1: I guess so yeah but there's also an interview with Brian where he says oh I don't know where Freddie found that from but he just did it live and I then listened to it again I was like I don't think so (laughs) (laughs) I don't I think that's I think I think it's um had an effect put on it
0: yeah all right well um should we move on to the next track which is She Makes Me Stormtrooper in Stilettos written by Brian four minutes long this one 4 minutes 8 seconds and Brian took on the lead vocals for this track while Freddie doesn't appear on the track at all Um, until we get tweeted otherwise Uh, but that is is what I I believe to be true Um, I'm just going to play a bit of this track of context, I'm not sure if this song kind of stands on its own that well, but in the context of the album, I have always found it quite lovely and quite compelling, and I rather enjoy
3: it. Yeah, I think it's I, cool. I love this Do song. you? Good. Yeah. So do I love I, it so much. I don't feel embarrassed I, to say that. I also think it's in a certain context the most modern of the, the songs. I can imagine, like, talking about cov- covers, can you imagine like Bonnie Vere or Uh, or Mumford and Sons covering this. I can imagine being at Green Man Festival and in the same way that Nico Case knocked me out with her cover of Misfire. Right. One of those sorts of bands playing this. It's weirdly, I don't know why, it's one of the queen earworms I get most frequently is is the bit where he goes, who knows who she'll make me. Mm. That bit, it's just, I love it. It's very May. It's one of his... Longing Ballads. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's obviously fallen written. in love with another woman on tour. <laughs> and who can blame him for writing another ballad? But I, I I I think it's one of the best tracks on this side. Oh, of the album, really? Guys. Really? Yeah, that yeah.
0: far. It was it would always appear on my it would always appear on my Brian compilations. It always would.
5: Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. I I played this in the car on a uh recent car journey my mum was in the car and she did the whole oh who's that and i love that that's queen
5: yeah
1: oh i had no idea so yeah
5: when
0: when is it not queen in your car though that's my oh (laughs) i suppose there's a lot of musical theater yeah yeah of course (laughs) when it's hamilton wonderful um yeah, I adore this okay, song. Bush. Yeah, um, Simon, why was it called Stormtrooper in stilettos?
2: In in brackets, I don't know. Actually, I don't think there is any rhyme or reason to it. Until, as you say, we get tweeted to the contrary, but <laughs> um, it's a lovely image, isn't it?
5: Pa- mm. Particularly if it-
2: if your if your mental image of a stormtrooper is that of of Star Wars.
0: <laughs> uh, well of course this album came out in 1974 and Star Wars released in 1977 right so I think this might not have been the fun stormtroopers that he was referring to
3: if I'm honest <laughs> but isn't it because the lady that Brian has clearly fallen in love with was a stormtrooper and was leaving Uh, a fancy dress party and she had her stilettos on and Brian watched her wistfully from the other side of the street as she disappeared into the night I think that's entirely possible yes
0: you have spent many years with this song, John. That is lovely. Um, well, fantastic. Um, let's move on now to the final song of, of the album, and it is a huge song. This is In the Lap of the Gods, Revisited. It was one of the band's set closers, regular set closers from 1974 to 77, which is when um, We Are The Champions start to come into their set. Um, and uh, it doesn't actually have any real connectivity to the first track on the album, other than they've said In the Lap of the Gods sort of there's a bracketing device for their album, I guess, but um, it is brilliant. Um, I'm going to play quite a lot of it. All the bits.
4: It's so easy, but I can't do it. So risky, but I got a chance it. So funny, there's nothing to laugh about. My money, that's all you want to talk about.
0: I've got an interesting little response to this song where which is about sort of seeing the guys live Um, and uh, I think sort of the Freddie Mercury tribute it was all a stadium full of hardcore Queen fans and the next time I think I saw them live was when they started the Paul Rogers tour in Brixton Academy tiny little room hardcore Queen fans Uh, but as the years have gone on what I have noticed is that sort of the hardcore Queen fans tend to take up the sort of the, the central bit of the O2 arena, so all bopping around, and then up on the seats because I'm, you know, a little bit too tubby to sustain a whole stood up thing these days, so I'll sit up in the <laughs> in with the plebs, you know. And um, uh, what's interesting is sort of uh, in the earlier tours, people would be like up on their feet straight away and going for it, but n- now we're getting to a place where, and I think it's lovely, but there are lots of people coming to see the band, that are interested in seeing the band while they still can, and all that kind of stuff, and that aren't necessarily sort of the hardcore Queen Nuts, and then they dropped this track, uh, it was the first gig I took my son to see them, so it was that, twenty. 15, I think. Yeah, it was my 40th birthday. And they had it in the set list for that with Adam Lambert. Uh, and you could just hear everyone that was a proper, a proper Queen fan, but everyone that was enough of a Queen fan to know how to do the whoa, whoa, la, la, la's were all going, hey, and there was just a little bit of a... Hey, guys, <laughs> <laughs> guys, I didn't know it. Um, but that very quickly became uh, a sort of... Uh, it's the Queen thing. It just became a much more generous spirit of trying to get those that didn't know that were looking around, going, "Wow, how do so everyone know all these wo wo la la la's?" Yeah. To just What's get, well, this? you jump in, just join in, you know. It's easy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and by the end of it, everyone was in the room. Everyone was just going bananas and and doing those
3: wonderful chants. Amazing live song. Mm. I th- went in Edinburgh in twenty seventeen. I could I can kind of mark out Edinburgh's by the song I would listen to on my way to do my gig, and I would always listen to the Live at Wembley version of this, oh, which I th- I think is one of huge. the crown jewels of, of, of Queen tracks. I think this yeah. is by far the best track on this side of the album. Oh, right. I think it's amazing. I uh, I would love for Suze to talk about what he's doing with his voice because it's so, it's a son of a bitch to sing. Mm. And and he's very noticeably going, it's so, hee. you can yeah, hear that yeah. sort of, <laughs> no, I can't get anyway. anywhere close to it. But, and then, in, especially in the live version, the Wembley 86, which is included on the, uh, the re-release of this, the bonus yeah, the EP of yeah. bits. Yes,
1: it is. Yeah, on the um, deluxe version.
3: To go from sort of low to high, and mm. then that middle bit. Yeah. And then be he... able to find it again for oh.
1: the, Yeah. That is some exceptional uh, technique at play, completely untaught. It's also, it's another example because on this album he sings Lily of the Valley and he has that very contained vocal, which we haven't really heard from Freddie before. So he's doing that again. So he, while he's down low, he's doing what, what I had to have lessons to know, which is think the highest note you aim for the highest note even if you're singing down there so that it's not a surprise to your system when you then have to flip the vocal he's also completely flipping his voice but you don't hear that he's almost sliding up to it it's crazy it's two completely different tilts in the neck (laughs) that he's using so he's going so easy but i can't do it (laughs) <laughs> Sloresky, but, but he's not sliding like that because that's really tasteless and frankie's dead so he, uh-huh. he's he's got a just an, an incredible natural technique but then he'll put freddy distortion on the chorus it's it's easier to do in a recording obviously but he does do it at wembley 86 so how do, sick, how do you do it without sick.
3: sliding how do you go it's so
1: you you um uh, the slide is silent so you, you cover the break in the voice so you'd go it's so easy <laughs> but I can't do it wow. so you you the slide is silent so you wow. you you do the musculature of it without making sound
3: but it's very sort of cabaret isn't it that yes. that type of move you can imagine mm-hmm. like mm. just sort of that strut around the stage of yeah. a... Liza Minnelli type voice. Yes. Being able yeah, to totally. do that.
1: Yeah, it's he's amazing and he can do that and make 60,000 people in a stadium feel like he's playing in an intimate little jazz club. It's yeah, it's amazing. But you can hear that on the it's part of it is the production which is so good, but on the album track version it's amazing. Yeah. Um it feels it almost has a live feel and how he can do that Uh, with uh, his baritone voice and flip into falsetto so cleanly shows he never had nodules. And whoever that doctor was should be struck off. Our doctors, it's only recently the ENT doctors have, uh, they're still learning about the voice and vocal health because if he had nodules, there's no way he'd be able to hit any falsetto at all. It would just break. It would just break at the top.
3: So when when Adele got nodules and had to cancel her tour there was like a viral sort of blog about this woman going, I told you it's going to happen because she sings in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been saying for years she's going to get nodules. Yeah,
1: which was all correct. But also, who the f*** (laughs) 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 are you? It really annoyed me. I thought, oh, shut up. Because there's, because you, yeah, you can sing in a vocally damaging way. And if you're drinking and smoking a lot, it's really hard on the voice. However, there's also... um, vocally damaging schedules like Edinburgh. I come home from Edinburgh and I ain't singing for three days yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm a vocal health nerd. Yeah. I sound awful by the end of Edinburgh. You're, you're just scraping through by the end because it's a vocally damaging schedule. Mm. Um, and there's no fresh
5: but... no veg. <laughs> that's the. That's the
1: yeah, i always are. used to to lose... loads of chips.
3: I always used to lose my voice in Edinburgh so I went to a voice coach <laughs> mm. and I had proper vocal lessons, mm. not Not how to sing, but how to speak and shout and stuff. And she said, how much water are you drinking? And I said, none. And she said, what do you mean? (laughs) I was like, none ever. I've I've never drunk drunk water in the Edinburgh Festival. (laughs) And she was like, oh, right. Well, you need to drink water on stage. I was like, on stage? I've never taken water with me on stage. So, and then I, she did the like um, steaming thing. Yeah. So I used to steam before and after and drink a bottle of water on stage and I never lost my voice again. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing how much... And you always see Freddie with, like, pints lined up along the piano and you go, "Why drink water, Freddie, but uh, he's fine. But yeah, like, quite often it'll be swollen vocal cords. Like, I'm not getting nodules at the Edinburgh Fringe. It's just a lot of fatigue um, and they, they do swell up. But you just take, take two ibuprofen an hour before your show and you'll be fine a little glass
0: of port <laughs> I've heard just before you walk on stage <laughs> it's ter-
1: terrible thing to do oh is it
0: oh god yeah. damn it I've been telling people to do that for like 20 years but what I love about your point there uh Suze was you know when he's singing it's so easy but I can't do it so risky but yeah. I've got a chance it that's reflected in the way that he's singing
1: yes yeah it's really right? so um, that, look, he is singing writing.
0: in a way that's easy you know can I do it and this is a mm. risk to sing it this way, but I've got to chance it. I love that. Yeah. It's an amazing bit of analysis.
1: And then the, it's so
4: funny. Yeah, amazing. It's
3: so cool. But amazing. when, when, when he, in the Wembley 86 recording, I think it's an example of, you know, we we're talking about Live Aid, where his voice isn't actually in great shape.
1: No, yeah.
3: At Wembley, you can tell when he goes, so funny. Mm. Should we hear that, a bit of it? That's, Oh, I would, lo- Let's I would like it to it. hear yeah. all Let's of it. Let's
2: bloody play it, because we've got yeah. that power. We have. We can do that.
4: a chance to follow But there's nothing to laugh about We could just listen to the whole thing uh, so easily. Can oh, we? Man. I, I
3: think thing. if if I could have any Queen song last forever, it would be the live version of In the Lap of the Gods. <laughs> it's so brutally short. That yeah. is a yeah. beautiful yeah, they thing. They only do to that say.
1: one verse, don't they? Yeah.
0: You kind of get the impression like if they finished their gig on that and they left the stage, the crowd would just stay there doing the whoa whoa la la la's for the next four hours yeah. until yeah, it yeah. came back out yeah. again. You
5: know.
3: But that, yeah. that note he hits when he goes so funny, mm. that for me is the pure, that's the Freddie Mercury oh, yes. note. Yeah, yes. you can, you're right. You, 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 when John's,
0: uh, you won't see this, guys, because this is an audio <laughs> format. But whenever John does that, you're so funny. He puts his fist out in a real Freddie <laughs> because way. Because it's got
1: punch. It literally, it like cuts through and there's really safe distortion on it. It's the perfect rock sound mm. and people who try and emulate it will end up with nodules <laughs> but freddie had the safe um like level of vocal closure to push just a little air through and make that distorted sound which is his perfect Signature sound, sound yeah. but would
3: you say if he had been a classically trained singer mm. it wouldn't sound like that would it and yeah, if his voice was able in perfection but oh. if his voice was in perfect shape, that note wouldn't c- quite get the hairs um, on your neck on end.
1: Ah, it's it's interesting. If he knew, if he knew the still technique, which at that point would even in eighty six was brand new, uh, there's a safe way to make the distorted sound, and it probably he would have able to manufacture it. He didn't need it. There's sort of this idea that um, you don't want to oh we d- you don't want to ruin someone's singing with training if that makes sense like you don't want to ruin what they have with training like a bowling
3: action in cricket
1: right (laughs) (laughs) possibly you don't want to take the bowling action apart oh gotcha okay okay yeah i very possibly but i think yeah i don't think singing vocal training has ever done anyone's sound any harm unless it makes them overthink it
3: Uh, because the the Of all the Queen Reaction videos on YouTube, Mm. the only ones I really like are the opera singer lady. Yeah. Because she's actually quite critical of his his, uh, technique, which is really nice. It's not just someone going, oh my God, what are they doing? There's so many vocals. (laughs) 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 Because that feels like... They're a bit ahead of the curve and they sort of know that that's what's expected of a reaction video. This is the first
1: time I've ever heard Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, shut up. No, it isn't. (laughs) Uh,
3: But she's often saying that he just growls a lot.
1: He does, but he's never... The fact is, the the worst I've ever heard Freddie sing is on that SNL uh, performance of Under Pressure, um, where, you know, the voice is gone and apparently he was... Having a screaming row with someone the night before, um, but he would—he—he uh, he strikes me as someone who'd lose his voice from having a screaming row before he'd ever <laughs> lose it from singing. Wow! Uh, wow. So yeah, he is doing—he is doing growl, um, but he's doing it safely. Tell you also does it really safely as Christina Aguilera, but she doesn't have any taste. <laughs> 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 so that's the difference.
0: <laughs> Freddie Mercury, lover of life, singer of songs. Oh, yes. Yeah. Screamer of (laughs) Rouse. Screamer of (laughs) Rouse. Amazing, amazing. Well, now, this does bring us to the toughest part of the entire podcast. This rod we've made for our own backs called the Queen of a Queen. Made in
5: heaven.
4: Made in heaven.
0: (laughs) Just to say, we have put, uh, there's a Spotify playlist. Uh, that uh, one of our listeners uh, is doing, like, all the songs that we play on the playlist, which is great. Um, but also there's a, a, an actual Queen de la Queen playlist. I'm sure we'll post the links to both of those things alongside this album, uh, this, this podcast. Um, so do check those out. Or just make it yourself, build it yourself, because you should you should put in the songs that you want to put in as well and, and personalise it. I think that's great fun. Um, so it is time to decide which song on this side of the album we want to put on uh, the ultimate Queen de la Queen playlist. Um, and this is very difficult. Again, I think it's just going to get harder and harder uh, with each of these albums. But Suze, where are you going?
1: Okay, this is going to surprise. It's got my favourite moment on the album on it it's the transition in Lap of the Gods to, but what can I do? Oh, it's so, so Lap lovely. Of the gods. It's, uh, yeah. la- it, it makes me like rise up in my seat when yeah. I'm driving and I've got Lap of the Gods on yeah. that moment. Like, So I'm choosing Lap of the Gods. Lap
0: of the Gods part one. Fantastic. Yeah. Simon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so hard again. <laughs> it's really difficult. I was, I was sold on Stone Cold Crazy yeah until we got to Lap of the Gods Revisited <laughs> and I'm trying to decide if it's fair <laughs> that we've brought the Wembley 86 version in because just like John the back of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up as soon as I heard that being played because it's just something about being in a crowd isn't there when you get a moment like that, that moment of yeah. you as a, a, an audience member feel at one with, with the band performing because you're all sharing in that moment. I mean, mm. yeah. in a non-Queen moment, I had a similar thing. I actually saw Paul McCartney perform Hey Jude, um, in a, a gig. And again, it was that s- similar thing of being part of an audience singing along at the end of that is mm. such a great mm. experience. Mm. Um, but I do last stone cold crazy but I'm going to have to go with Lap of the Gods Revisited <laughs> okay okay uh, John I'm
0: guessing you're in the similar neck of the woods are you
3: yeah I'd like to I'd like to fly an honourable mention flag for she makes me stormtrooper in stormtrooper in stilettos I've had Sorry, I've had three beers since <laughs> I've <since I'm laughs> this podcast. It's not like one beer, but no. <laughs> um, but I, I just... Something about In the Lap of the Gods Revisited, It it almost feels like that's what the whole album is leading up to. And I know it's such a relatively short song. And also, this album probably has the shortest average length of song. Of any Queen album? Because you've got 143 for Lily of the Valley, 107 for Dear Friends, 150 for Miss Fire. The longest song is five minutes and eight. There's only two songs above four minutes other than that. So Mm. a lot of the songs for Queen are pretty short. But I just... like you. I don't know if someone said or I read it, but it's like it's the first song that was written for an audience, a live audience. And and what they were to go on to do with that skill of being able to write actual anthems for crowds mm. to sing along to, I have to say it's in the lap of the gods revisited. But well done, Brian, for sh- for she makes me stormtrooper in stilettos because I really like that.
0: Yeah, I I've been racking my brains with it all even during this. Um, podcast frankly uh I, I i understand absolutely where you're coming i think in the lap of the gods part two certainly that moment that you're talking about Suze, in part one is one of my favorite moments in all of queen uh, mm. i adore that i think stone cold crazy is just immense um and is one of their unofficial super hits in a way you know it's, like only,
3: t- it's only two minutes 12 it's seconds craziness well. how many mm. metal bands could write such a huge song yeah. in such a short space of yeah, time yeah, it's like that sort of beach boys length yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and lap of the gods part two has that similar status of I think if you know queen just a little bit you do know that song like if you've if you've done enough to listen to all of their albums then that is a song that you know and you recognise and when they start playing it live, you get the hairs up at the back of your head and you're excited to sing along. So I, I love all of that. The, the choice I am making today for myself is bring back that Leroy Brown. Mm. Uh, it is a song that it doesn't matter how many times I listen to it, I can listen to it on repeat for an hour and not get sick of it and keep hearing more and more. It's an extraordinary achievement mm. and Freddie, at his just his most rambunctious i just adore it yeah. i adore it so my choice is um is uh uh bring back that leroy brown which means we have two votes for in the lap of the pot uh in the lap of the gods part two Oh, that was and a the close one. About
3: Queen are available, yeah. <laughs> lovely,
0: lovely lads up in Scotland who quite Ooh. geniusly called their show in the lap of the pods. Shout out
3: to you guys. Yeah. But you have the you have the you have the deciding vote on Queen de la Queen, so you can overrule us if you want.
0: Yeah, but I'm not going to. I think it's correct. Two votes have gone for a song. Susan and I picked a different song each uh, wow. in the lap of the uh, gods, part two, uh, or revisited, if you like. Is I can't do it right in the lap of the gods revisited, is the song that is going into the Queen de la Queen. There we are. Good place. luck editing some of that, producer Giles. <laughs> <laughs> Flipping out. Uh, I could see drop-ins in my near future. Um, droppings? Yeah, I, sometimes I have to re-record little bits because I just mangle
1: everything so badly.
0: <laughs> little
1: droppings.
0: <little laughs> uh, drop-ins? <laughs> drop-ins? <laughs> not a rabbit. Um... <laughs> But here's the million dollar question. For you personally, if you had to pick just one track from the whole album, Um, does this include the singles? If you have to pick one track from the whole album, what are you personally picking, Suze Kempner?
1: um, Brighton Rock.
0: Lovely. Simon? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but it's your turn. You meant to have thought about this. So try to I, lo- I wish you guys could see this—the amount of agony Simon goes through every time he has to answer any <laughs> of these choosing yeah. questions. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with misfire. Misfire
2: <laughs> from <laughs> the whole album. <laughs> you wind-up merchant. Go on, seriously. Just to see the look on your face, much so unbelievable. Nice, really, Nearly had no. a stroke. Um, I think I'm gonna stick with Laugh of the Gods revisited. Lovely. And John, you're the same. do You think?
0: Or you no back if to Brighton Rock pick,
3: Yeah, it would be Brighton Rock. Personally, objectively Killer Queen because yeah, I think sure. it's a perfect song, yeah, but for yeah. me if I had to take one of the tracks of this album to a desert island, it would be Brighton Rock.
0: Wow. Uh I think I think it's somewhere between Now I'm Here and Tenement Funster for me and I'm going to stick mm. with Tenement Funster. Uh, that is the song that I have to
3: have mm. of this wow. album. I have to have it. I, I bloody am, love I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to text Ellis that you said that. Why? <laughs> oh, yeah, because
0: he thinks it's a ridiculous name for a song. Yeah, uh, he
3: will He will love that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Tina Funster, Ellis. <laughs> An amazing song. Cannot be beaten by any of the songs that we've discussed to date. Uh, all right. Well,
2: uh, that is it, dear friends. Well, yeah, you say that, but I was actually thinking, while we've been looking, I've been yeah. thinking we should do a podcast on trucking companies that have worked with queen (laughs) i've I've been looking at edwin shirley trucking's website because they're still going and on it they say the famous yellow and purple trucks have become a familiar sight at venues all over europe with edwin shirley trucking supporting everyone from the rolling stones bob dylan and bruce springsteen to nine inch nails kanye west and madonna
4: wow no mention of queen Wow. But they mentioned
2: well, Kanye West, so on that alone, I'm sorry, there'll be no Edwin Shirley Trucking podcast.
3: <laughs> they, um, so we had a phone in on our, well, a text in on our uh, five live show about when you've appeared in magazines or been on, had your picture in the paper, and someone emailed in to say that their um, van is in the gatefold of Live at Wembley in '86 because there's a photo of oh. the uh the car park and you can make out they've like hired a van so their self-hired self-hired van is in the car park oh. brilliant what a claim oh. to fame a
0: little seven seas of it's a
3: seven degrees of ride yeah. yeah. seven seas
0: ride. what am i doing sorry that is just the song <laughs> that's just the song seven degrees of ride thank you very much um well there we go uh Uh, let us cling together as the pods go by please email us with your stories and questions queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com this is particularly pertinent because I think uh, in a couple of pods time sadly we're coming to the end of season one guys (sighs) that's gone quick. It has gone quick. Mm, has gone quick and, but yeah.
3: the pod must go on. Yes, it,
0: I hope so. Let's 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 hope for that. Absolutely. Subject to
3: contract negotiation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not really. Subject to everyone going. Yeah, no. This is worthwhile. This yeah, is a worthwhile experience. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, uh, all right. Uh, um, what we are, what we'd like to do to round out the series is, is something of a fan special because we have had a lovely response from all the listeners. So if you do have a, a, a question to send us, we're going to be doing more of them in 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 the last episode of this season. So you get a good chance getting on the show uh we'll we'll read uh, a lot more of your love of queen uh, or experience with queen there's some amazing little stories that come through we'd like to share those uh, and hopefully have a a couple of lovely surprises to go alongside that as well is that fair to say that sounds like fun yeah and
3: i'd also say don't be afraid to mix very quick questions with more involved ones so like if you want us to rank something if you want us to pick our favorite thing or you can just like little quiz questions. So we not everything will will be a sort of a, 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 a involve a lot of research. Some can be quick fire, and some can be uh, longer form. Uh, if you want to email any questions you have for us, yeah.
0: Like a quick question might be who plays the bass in Queen? Like that, we could do with that really quickly, Very quick. so quickly. <laughs> um, uh, but. Uh that said, um, yeah, those those little things that get us going and debating and what, you know, like you guys do when you sit, well, when you used to sit in
3: pubs and talk
5: about your favourite <laughs> yeah. band. Yeah. Just oh. when you used to sit in pubs. Um, <laughs> remember yeah. that. But oh. if you
3: do have any answers, because I guess we'll deal with this in that episode of if you, if you had to be one person in the Queen world, but not in the band, who would you pick to oh, be? yeah. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear yeah. from you about yeah. that as well, because I'm sure you will uh, have some very interesting choices. I already know who mine is, but I'm not going to say, yeah. cause it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
0: and the main thing to say is, uh, do send us your top 10 favourite album covers, because we are going to release the definitive list of that in that particular podcast, where we, I say we, we're going to make producer Giles do all the sums, to uh figure out you know what all of your favorite top tens are compared to ours and come up there'll probably be an algorithm um <laughs> as well. he'll use
3: an album algorithm.
0: <laughs> that's very fast john well done um, that is a pun uh so yes do that uh also you can send us comments uh little um uh, grumbles, of course, uh, at the Queen Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure we'll have a host of corrections to make in that episode as well. Um, and please, please take the time to give us a star rating on your podcast platform. Even give us a little review. It's so encouraging for us. It'll help us keep going. That's the key bit. We really want to keep making this show for you and spread the word wherever you are amongst all your Queen fan buddies um, so that leaves me to say thank you thank you so much it's been a lovely lovely fun episode yet again uh, thank you to Suze, Simon, John and producer Giles. goodbye everyone bye goodbye.
6: this has been The Queen Pod a Seven Seas Films production edited and produced by me Fergus March Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com Thanks for listening and see you next time.